This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When there's two sides to every coin, then there's a conversation you can join. But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks And some of my opinions you just can't fix Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and cry Get off my lonely snowflake Before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown Cause this is my hometown, so back down Sports clown, it's all just a game The show has just gotten remarkably better now that it has a theme song. And the first time in my career that I've actually had a theme song written for me, which I, I, well, that wasn't a parody or that wasn't intended to somehow, you know, denigrate my programming. I'm thinking of you, Kelly Kirsch. Uh, Welcome. It is another week of Just a Game. I am me. You are you. Thank you for being here. And thank you to our brand spanking new sponsor, Ski Seller Snowboard. Ski, you see him right there. On, 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 well, you're going to see him here in a minute, actually, uh, when we, uh, we get our guests here, because our guest is here, too. Uh, but when you see it, uh, you'll know it, because they've been in Calgary for 76 years. 76 years. 
How many of you, there, there's a handful of you that have been alive that long, but not many of you, 76 years. So thank you to, uh, to uh, Ski Seller Snowboard for joining us. They're going to present the guests, which we're going to have plenty. Uh, you can check them out online at skisellersnowboard.com. Four locations in Calgary, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, Bow Ridge Road Northwest, right by the McDonald's at the bottom of Windsport, and at Windsport at the Frank King Day Lodge. Not just skis and snowboards. Anything you need to keep yourself warm. And it was snowing today. Anyway, we are so proud to have uh, them on board. So congratulations to us for getting uh, that kind of rub of, of having a company, a Calgary company, by the way, Ski Seller Snowboard on board. So looking forward to that. A um, little later on in the program, joining us will be Ryan Pike, the managing editor of Flames Nation. The Calgary Flames played one game over the weekend, and guess what? They won it. Um, not sure it's going to help in the grand scheme of things, but a 5-3 win over San Jose. Walker Dewar um, really kind of had his, his game going, but let's, you know, uh, I like Walker Dewar. I think Walker Dewar is a good pickup. He's a good find. Uh, he's going to be a player on this team. But the bull that they rode on Saturday afternoon, not one you're taking to the finals. Um, anywho, uh, but what was significant on Saturday was the 900th career game of Michael Backlund. Uh, they honored him as they should. Um, what a great story Backlund is. In 2007, at the draft in Columbus, He was scheduled to be a top 30 pick, a first-round pick, but he was coming off a year in which he was injured. He was certainly not as um, high-profile as, let's say, uh, um, as Patrick Kane or uh, James Van Riemsdyk. Um, Those were players that were were selected ahead of him, way ahead of him. Uh, And I remember being at that draft in Columbus, and they had the availability the day before, and the TSNs and the Sportsnets of the world, and everybody was there. And back then, you had lots of newspaper people, too. They were all there. And, you know, the the Canes and the Van Riemsdijks were mobbed, and there was this young man sitting by himself, uh, Michael Backlund. So I went up and started talking to him, and he was just a very shy young man, uh, nice, pleasant, but really didn't have a lot going on. And kind of as a throwaway question, I said, well, what would it be like if a team like, say, the Calgary Flames selected you tomorrow? And he lit up like a Christmas tree because, of course, he had come over for the Max Major Midget Hockey Tournament and was the MVP in the tournament the year before. So he billeted here in Calgary over Christmas, got to see the sights, loved the city, and all of a sudden there was a connection. Well, lo and behold, he gets drafted the next day. He comes and, you know, joins us on the the live program and big smile, and he was so excited to be in Calgary, and that starts a journey, uh, a journey that saw him represent uh, Sweden at a World Juniors and then not go back and ended up playing his first NHL game before he ever played in the Western League, but then went to Kelowna, had a successful run in Kelowna, and then has been in Calgary since. Early on, he was tasked with the unenviable position of being a young guy that might be the next great center for Jerome McGinley. Played a little bit with McGinley and Tangay, handled it with great aplomb, was just always a nice person to be around. Um, Early on, I think a lot of people said, ah, I'm not sure... 
you know, they should trade him, get something for him. And there was a lot of that. And I remember his second contract. There was a lot of people in this city who were praising him on Saturday that were also running him out of town uh, a number of years ago. Uh, good thing they didn't because he's gone on to be exactly what he was presented as, which is a reliable 200-foot centerman who can take offensive draws for you, take defensive draws. Uh, he's been in the Selkie conversation. He's having his, one of his best offensive seasons this year. He should be the captain of this team. But I'll go one step further. More important than that, and our next and our guest is going to attest to this, uh, that's the on ice. The off ice, even better. Uh, he and his wife, Frida, have put so much back into this community. Um, Frida just wrote a book on, on, um, on untimely passings, let's say it that way, for kids, which is really cool. They've been huge supporters of ALS, and of course that has a connection to the Snows and Snowy Strong. But also they have been an outstanding um, promoter and influencer for groups like Parachutes for Pets, which was a small group that I'm very lucky to find myself working with right now that is uh, working on uh, uh, medical issues, food issues, all of those things for our vulnerable population, the, the homeless, veterans, seniors, kids in foster care. The, the, the Backlands have been there all along. Uh, back home, uh, he continues to give back to his community in the name of his friend who passed away from cancer a number of years ago. This is the complete package. This is the son that we all want to have. This is him. And he has been the draft pick that all teams should want to have. So congratulations to Michael Backlin on, uh, on his 900th game. And who knows, maybe Matt Coronado will make it to 900 games as a flame. Uh, he signed his three-year entry-level contract after Harvard got beat out on Friday. He signed, uh, I believe, on yesterday. First round, 13th overall back in uh, 2021. Can't play in the American League, so he's probably going to play in the NHL. But whether or not it will be right away, I don't know. All right. Uh, more hockey a little later on. Uh, really excited about our first guest. Um, I've had a hit list of people... Um, that I wanted to have when I came back because I want this show to be about Calgarians and people in Calgary and sport and, and good people. I also think it's important to profile role models and good people. Um, so I have begun my in, uh, personal campaign to go to all Starbucks locations in Calgary to find guests. Uh, and that's exactly what happened last Wednesday. I met Starbucks and, and who, I mean, who's sporting a Colorado mammoth jacket in this city can only be one man. Uh, when we were back on the old radio station, and I'll say this, uh, I was telling him off the air, I, I think of the, the players that I've ever dealt with that could easily transition into this and had success in their chosen profession, that would be Nick Lewis, that would be Craig Conroy, and that would be our guest. Uh, he, still to this day, you want to talk about you having your mind blown? To this day, as an active player, active player, hosted his own show, which was incredible on its own. But to this day, I have never seen its equal or its duplicate. The day of a game interviewed the coach from the other team as an active player. A, it's ballsy. It was brilliant. It was all of those sort of things. And I'm forever indebted for his friendship because he's been uh, just been a dear friend for 20 years now. Andrew McBride joins us. Ryder, how are you? I'm great. Those are kind words from a mentor. I remember being back in state, uh, trying to play lacrosse, kind of running out of options and saying, Hey, I'm going to take a shot that Mr. Kerr will take me as our mentor for sports broadcasting and kind of full circle to be sitting here with you and yeah. 
like I said, meeting you at Starbucks, excited to have you back on the airs. I think <laughs> to be able to see you do this, which you were so passionate about, so great for the community, someone that really, when I moved to Calgary, yeah. was a pr- familiar face and voice. Great you're back in this, and it's amazing to be on your show. Well, Thanks. I appreciate it. It's, it's awfully kind of you, but it, it go. It, it's a knife that cuts both ways because I'm, and I'm not joking. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting somebody at the Starbucks, and I'm, I've got my head in the clouds, and I'm going, oh, next week, you know, and and I look up, and it's, you know, it's like, oh, the lights go off, they shine, there he is, right there. The Lord has presented Andrew McBride. You must ask. So I did. I'm like, I haven't seen you in a bunch of years, and I go, well, can you do next Monday? Sure, because that's who you are. But it's it's meant to be, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad we get to spend some time together. Um, why aren't you doing this? That's a good question, and maybe something that I could transition into. I think for my life, the last five years has really been focused on my kids. Mm-hmm. Kids, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home dad during the week, something I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. The experience that's given me both as a father and being able to take that into the real world as a coach at a professional level and now coaching my daughter coming up this summer is something I'll cherish forever. And, um, yeah, really fortunate to be able to do this. But I think now finding that identity of kids are getting a little bit older, Mm -hmm. kids are starting to find things that they're interested in, traveling is a lot with the mammoth trying to get back into avenues and broadcasting is something I've always really thoroughly enjoyed the people you get to meet the experiences the stories the different way it brings people together so something hopefully maybe I can definitely explore down the line we should make mention yes your full-time gig is you are the defensive coordinator for the defending uh NLL champion uh Colorado mammoth um I was in the building last year when you knocked off the the Roughnecks on your way to a championship. And I've been dying to ask this question because nobody had the answer on our side. What did you say to Kurt (laughs) after that made him so angry? So this is, and you know what? I've had so many people ask me about that. Okay. So I'll give you the Coles notes version. Number one, it wasn't me. The whole scenario played out by, we called a timeout with like 15 seconds left. Our star goalie was out. We were up three or four goals. I can't remember. We called a timeout. He took that a little bit personally for whatever reason. You know, sports is heated. He's a competitor. He is a competitor. He coached me. I played with Kurt. Yeah. One of the mentors in the way I implement some of my coaching styles in terms of preparation. But he was hot. And I think he was just taking that out on me. If anybody knows me, I run a little hot at the collar too emotions were going high and I said, well, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to kind of push back a little bit and say, you know what, I'm going to stick up for myself. And it was two competitors at the end of a really, really important game, airing some grievances and all good. I think that's, that's sports. And you have to have the ability as a high end athlete and coach to leave it on the floor. Yeah. That that really is a big thing. So no harm, no foul. No. And in fairness to a previous guest, uh, Mike board was on a couple weeks ago. And and I remember asking Bordy afterwards, what was going on? I said that nothing. And then that was it. It was, it's just, it's heat of the battle and all those sort of things. But what did it, and we can get into the mammoth a little bit more, but what did it mean to come for you to come into that building in the postseason and win that game? Yeah, it's special for me. I mean, I always have a little more juice coming back into the building. I, I would be lying to say if I didn't wish I could have stayed in the organization outside of my playing days. And there were some talks. It just didn't work for, for a multitude of reasons on both sides. I mean, when you, for me, moved out to Calgary, spent 13 years here, did tons and tons of stuff in the community with Michael Backlund. I don't want to go off track, but no, go ahead. I, and I know you mentioned him. 
if you want to talk about an ambassador and an outstanding athlete in person, yep. you look no farther than him. Yep. He was a guy who I did special Olympic stuff okay. that would, every time he would see me, and he's a professional hockey player, he mm-hmm. didn't know to go out of his way at all, would ask me, hey, how are you doing? Yep. How's lacrosse? And genuinely care yep. about what I was saying. It wasn't just, oh, you know, because most people forget your name. They're on to other things. They're the big pro athlete. But one of the most sincere, humble just great ambassador for the city. So I couldn't be more proud for the career he is. And when you meet genuine, great people like that and see it translate, that's what sports all about. So sorry to go off topic, but no, what I, a great, what a great human being and person to represent your organization. No, it's, it's, you know what it's, I, I he, he warrants it. He deserves it. I'm a little sensitive to all of that stuff going way back, you know, more than a decade ago when Owen Nolan signed with the flames, because when he signed, he had like 13 games to go to at a thousand. And the Flames did an outstanding job of his 1,000th game, but he had played like 13 as a member of the Flames. They got him a side-by-side. They did a whole tribute and everything like that. And I'm like, this guy, you drafted him. And not not to say they did anything wrong, but I am a little sensitive that you take care of your own a little bit. Like when you draft, develop, and keep, and you get to play 900 games, you know what? You are the the rare, you're the butterfly in all of this because you got drafted, developed, and stayed your whole career with one team. That does not happen. No, and it's interesting to see now, looking back when you're kind of a little bit removed, it's lucky how it worked out for me to coach. But looking back, you kind of think, like, I had probably opportunities to go to other teams. And I was having a young baby, and you look back as an athlete now, and you say, did I make the right decision? And Mm -hmm. when you put all the pieces in reality, you only do have a short window to compete physically. I think that's the big thing. But looking back, man, I gave everything I had to the city of Calgary. I've made lifelong friends to be able to run into you and come to this. So going to other teams now and seeing players like Dane and Curtis leave last year, it's something I do take a lot of pride and have a lot of respect for the organization to give me that length of time. And Backlund should be celebrated for that because it doesn't happen. And it will continue to happen less and less in the landscape of sports, in the landscape of social media, where the grass is always greener on the other side. And change in especially these young people's lives with the short attention span yeah. is becoming more and more, hey, let's change it up. And I think there's positives and negatives about I like how the younger generation says, hey, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to move on. I'm going to do something different. Right. Which I think maybe in our generation was, you know, you stayed a little more at home. So positive and negatives, but, but I am fortunate and lucky. I, I don't count my stars for that. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask because you play in Denver. Yeah. To me, it was Ray Bork who left the Bruins to go somewhere to win a cup. And then, you know, there'd be others that would do that. Do you think in your scenario, it would have been any different had you not previously won two championships in Calgary? If you had gone over and got to the end the last couple of years, do you think you might have chased a cup? Probably. Honestly, probably I would have. I think even seeing with the Mammoth last year, we had a group of guys that, I think we had two or three guys that have ever won a championship. And the way they were defined throughout the lacrosse community Mm -hmm. and their careers is completely different now that they've won a championship. And being the coach, it was a very, very hard experience last year going into that final game in Buffalo, that is the most nervous Mm -hmm. I have ever been in my life because it's a very helpless feeling. Like you try to prepare the boys, you try to get everyone ready, you feel they're ready, but not being able to go out on the floor and understanding having won two championships and see how, saw how it impacted my career Mm -hmm. in the community, how people talk to me as a player about saying you have a championship. 
the amount of pressure and the avenues I saw that saying, hey, if we lose this, these guys are going to be known as the team and the group. Great players, great individual talent, but couldn't get it done. It literally splits the road in half. Yeah. And I was so happy they got to take that path. So probably I would have chased it because winning ultimately is what you hear to play. And I think competition nowadays has turned into, it gets lost in the mud. It's muddied a little bit in the sense that there's so much going on in life. The seasons are so long yeah. that it's very hard to put the pinnacle of winning up on the on the pedestal. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh you, yeah. You chase the whole season. Then the season ends. You're like, darn, I didn't win. It really is hard to win at any level. Um, so yeah. And I, you I won young won. too, right? You second year, second year, you won your first. I thought I was going to win 10 more. Yeah, I really did. I Which thought, is crazy because yeah. you hear that all the time. Yeah, It's true. Right. That is a very, very true adage. Even yeah. if you get a taste of success, you think in your mind as an athlete, well, now we did so many great things. How can this not come? Yeah. And you quickly realize with the dynamic of people, with the dichotomy of a team, man, one person out, one person getting injured, one person having a kid changes everything. Yeah. When you get on a path of success, there isn't a more powerful thing in the world than mojo, swagger, momentum. These are real, real life terms. And I think it happens in life for sure. But sports is the microcosm of, of momentum. Oh, it really is. Yeah. It really, really is. Because, you know, when we have these conversations, oh, I should point out, you are a Hall of Famer, right? 2016, the Delta Sports <laughs> the Delta. Delta. Right? You're in a Hall of Fame. That's right. But we have that Hall of Fame question all the time. And, and that now, you know, how much do you equate that championship? Like, I, I you know, and I hate talking about players before their careers are over, but Michael Backlund hits 900 games and somebody says, well, is he somebody that you retire his number? How do you honor him? Uh, you know, how is Michael Backlund a different, do we look at him differently with a championship? I think you do. I just think we always do with people that have rings, right? Well, that's, that's sports. That's why yeah. you play the game. I think if you asked all these players, the ultimate goal is to win. Now, when it comes to retirement, people actually ask me a lot about that in Calgary. Like, is your number going to get retired? And I say, listen, I do not care if my number get retired. You don't care? Not at all. Not at all. My impact of what I did to see people that I played with or coached with, right. now coaching my kids, to see people I can run into in 20 mm -hmm. years, that's my Hall of Flame. That's my retirement jersey. Relationships and the impact on other people is all you can but ask the, for as an athlete. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's make sure that we're all on the same page. If... They called you, Mike Board called you today and said, Brighter, next week, next year, we're going to put 37 up to the rafters. Yeah. You'd be on. That's not what we're talking about. No. no. You're not Mika Kippersoff saying, no. I am not coming to get the Vezina no. trophy. I don't care, right? Like, there's that, but but you're just not, like, it's not keeping you up at night. No, I think more, some people are more upset about it than I am. Like, people actually get upset saying you were here for 13 years. This is years, the first get... I'm hearing of people getting upset. <laughs> what are you talking about? But I know, yeah, absolutely. But I think some people, it was never a focus of mine. That was something I never chased. Would it be nice? Sure. Are there more ap appropriate people to put up there? Curtis Dixon, Dane Dobie. There's tons of people. Yeah, that but just... you're retired. They're not. Yeah, but I would say they, if you ask me in all sincerity, Dane Dobie deserves to go up there before I deserve to go up there. Just because of his career, just because the way he played, just because of his individual statistics, I was never a superstar player. What I was was a great catalyst in a locker room that had many superstar players. I think my two biggest skill sets mm -hmm. were my compete level. Mm -hmm. I really tried to pass that on. I always mm -hmm. came to practice and competed at the highest level possible mm -hmm. due to people like 
Tracy Koleski who exemplified that before me. And they said, hey, Caleb, we're the captains and the leader of this team. If you want to be elite, this is how you act. This is how you play. This is how you hold yourself in the community. And I said, man, I want to be like these guys. So this is the path I'm going to follow. But the problem sometimes with Halls of Fame or the ultimate honors, however we determine them, having your number retired or whatever, is that I do believe you and your position is not sexy. True. Sorry, you're sexy. Yeah. Your position is not you. sexy. You know what I meant. Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. I do. But, you know, Kiprasov is a, a no-brain. And, and I think post-Kiprasov, if anything, in this city has proven how good Kiprasov was. Sure. Everybody just got so used to him that they started to take him for granted. Um, you know, again, McDonald, those are numbers. But what you did, and, you know, especially in lacrosse, it's just not flashy being a defender, right? There's no, you know, oh, he's, he's loose balls. Like, oh, who's who's winning loose balls? It's 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 like offensive linemen in a way, right? Yeah. Well, I think you know, being around sports as long as you have, and I've definitely learned that transitioning into coaching. Yeah, you need to have everybody in many oh, in a 100%. multitude of positions. Like you see the Johnny Gaudreaux and the best mm-hmm. players that are the Kachucks that are going to put up, but the true identity of a team is the way the fourth-line guy can impact the game like a first-line guy right. into the team. And I think people that play on a team, if you're, you'll hear a real true team talk about the importance of different role players on that team. And yes, you need the superstars. Being a superstar at any sport, you are a special breed. You have something yeah. that the majority of people can't handle. But the value that the role players bring mm-hmm. to enhance that superstar, that's what makes a great team. And it was no more evident with us last year losing our top two players the way guys believed in their role that even if I get zero points, zero loose balls, Mm -hmm. the importance of how I'm going to impact how our team is driven forward is just as important as the guy that's going to get 10 points. So one last one on this topic, and and it's kind of where we went with Backlund and a little bit with you, but are we now, do we need to readdress how we honor and, and the way we honor and take into consideration a more fulsome picture? Uh, uh, Pete Rose is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame because yeah. he gambled on baseball. Yeah. That was off the field. Yeah. So we have used off-field transgressions to kind of exclude people from honor, honor being honored before. Should we be doing the other way? Um, you were one of the original uh, ambassadors for right to play. You yeah. were you were with Special Olympics in Calgary. You did. There, there's nothing anybody could have done more humanly possible to try and promote lacrosse, promote the rough, you you did all of that, plus you were the captain of this team. You were all of that. That, to me, has gravitas. That has weight. Should that not, I'm not asking you this, but because it's not fair to you, but should we, in a more of a fulsome picture, be starting to include more of the off-field, off-ice in in that discussion? For sure you should, but that's just not the way society is built anymore. The way society is built is you're flashy, you put up the numbers, It's bright lights, and that's fine. I think the way people like myself operate is I can wake up in the morning and generally look myself in the mirror and said, I tried the best to impact individuals' lives, Mm -hmm. to make the community in this sport a better place. And then reality, that's all the satisfaction I need. Ego, which I'm reading a lot about now, ego is such a strong and powerful thing with saying, I need more. I need accolades. I need this. Yeah. But a real strong man is someone that can look and say, man, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I know what I did. 
I don't need any. Sure, it's nice to go to a banquet and get a dinner, but I can care less. I'm in the Hall of Fame. I can care less about these All-Star games. I care someone I played with or a kid I coach can come back and say, hey, coach, great to see you. How's the family? Thanks for doing this. I'm playing because of a program, a school lacrosse program. Right. You started, and now I'm giving back to that school. That's the stuff that's important to me. Uh, he is uh, our guest. He is Andrew McBride, brought to you by the Ski Cellar. They're now presenting nice. our, our sport. Uh, ski Cellar Snowboard, I should say, 76 years in Calgary. Check them out, skicellarsnowboard.com. Have you snow skated yet? No, I have not. Okay. It sounds fast and dangerous. It, it, we'll get to it, but it's kind of cool. Um, take me back. To, let's talk about lacrosse in this province. Take me back to when you got here to today. How far have we come? Crazy. Is it? Want to talk about Hall of Fame? I, I am, do. I am making a case for Brad Bannister to be in the NLL Hall of Fame. Okay. The, the fact that he is not in there, the fact that there's 17,000 people at Roughnecks games every week now is a direct indication of the opportunity that he presented and he brought to the province of Alberta. Mm-hmm. Now, if people come along and added stepping stones, absolutely. Jeff Snyder with Elevate. There's tons of different people that have given don't back. Don't give him... Si- no, 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 don't. Know, let's, let's not do that. that. No, so let's not do scratch that. that. Scratch yeah, that. Yeah, all right, all right. But it takes, it takes people to, to do that. So yeah. it's really, really turned into something that's created so much momentum and is so special to take my kids to the Roughnecks game. And we had a buy and to see those fans, mm-hmm. to see people in the stands, have that experience to see people like this year, when I coached my daughters play on lacrosse for the first time, I never wanted her to play. This is strictly organic to see Mike Carnegie and Scott Carnegie's daughter, Sean Cable Roughnecks. We've given back to see play. Um, it's a really, really special place. The kids I coach now with the Raiders, 40 kids down in the States playing university on scholarships, it's a really special, and I take pride going back to the whole getting your jersey. Mm-hmm. I take pride in having a small part in being able to see that these kids starting lacrosse at seven, eight, nine years old, one of these kids' life is going to get changed yeah. because they played lacrosse. So really special. Is there a long ways to go? Yes. Is there challenges in amateur sports? For sure. Did COVID really hurt lacrosse? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But what I think we're starting to see now is my age group and generation who's having kids is going to start getting back into the coaching, which is really, really going to help. BC and Ontario have had that for a generation. Yes. The Alberta generation is starting to happen now. Yes. And I think that's really going to translate. Yeah, to and, and, and that's that's kind of the, the con- where I wanted to go with this conversation is that we, we're always looking for a quick fix, right? We want it done by next year. We want it done by next week. Really, we've got to start looking at some of this uh, through the lens of you know time. Um, you know, I think back to when Brad brought it to Alberta, um, you know, there was no team in Edmonton. There hadn't been, you know, there, there was a little bit of box lacrosse in Edmonton and I think a little bit here, but you really had to go to BC or Ontario. Um, and I always said, you know, Brad, Brad was not, it was not a good business model. Uh, It was not a good, (laughs) no, it was not right. But for him to fight because minor pro sports in this country are hard and can be hard. And he fought as long as he could. And I, I agree with you. I think there's got to be some sort of builder category, some sort of recognition. Um, if, if we now consider ourselves a lacrosse province, which I think yeah, we do. For sure we are. Right? Yeah. Well, even the minors last year. So Junior A, who I yeah. coach and GM of the, the Junior A Raiders, the minors were one goal away from winning the Minto which was absolutely unheard of. Sure. The, like, and it, it put people Weren't on they the, double-digit blowouts we, when, when I we think started my record, I think my record against the, the minors was something like 43-1. and one. Like, I, we literally, when we played them 
lost one time to them. Yeah. So there's a perfect example of maturation. Right. But I think the people in lacrosse, you can't fake You're talking about when you were in BC, right? Yeah. No. So this is in, when I coached the Raiders. Oh, sorry. When you coached the Raiders. Even as long as five or six, seven years ago, Edmonton won one game in like 50 games we played. Okay. Sorry. But with the development, with the coaching, you have guys like John Lintz who played Mm -hmm. professional. It's all starting to trickle over to, to being successful. And to see that is amazing, but it comes back to Brad passion. That's the one thing here. In life, you can't fake passion. Mm-hmm. You, you can't fake, like, I really care about this. And, and you're starting to get people that do care about this. And, and that will lead you in, in a really successful path. But it takes time, like you said. Culture, Absolutely. That's what people don't understand. The yeah. culture of a team, yeah. you don't have a great offseason. Calgary Flames, for example. You can't, change, you can't have one offseason and change the history of 20 years. Mm-hmm. It really takes a one, three, five-year plan with things really, really going right to switch the culture from a one of being in the middle or non-success to being successful. And lacrosse still is struggling with the culture of what it takes to be an elite sport. Now, things like getting in the Commonwealth Games, we were back in the Canadian Games this year. We're on a great path to get in Olympics. These are all things that are going to help speed that culture up. Which box lacrosse is on a path for the Olympics or is it? (laughs) field you'll love this so in typical lacrosse they've created a new game which ah. is going to go in the olympics okay it's called sixes so what it is so like rugby sevens yeah, yeah, which, okay. is an, which is an outstanding which is outstanding oh, absolutely right oh my god and it's yeah. so great for the kids now so it's basically 60 second shot clock or yeah. 30 second shot clock on a field field lacrosse goals no big sticks six players back and forth if you score a goal there's no face off the goalie picks it up throws it down there elite entertaining sport so do I think this is a future for sure? More touches for kids mm-hmm. in minor systems, yeah. fast pace, more control, not those lulls of what you're doing. So it's interesting to see, but therein lies kind of the fundamental issue with lacrosse. What other sport in the world would take a combination of the two sports that has no pro league and says, this is how we're going to get into the Olympics, but here we are. Well, rug, I mean, well, I guess rugby, but yeah, I guess. I mean, there, there's been at it. Sports have, I agree with you. I think 20 or 30 years ago, that was heresy, right? You can't change our sport. Yeah. But I think sports have, I mean, curling, yeah. right? Curling. Mixed curling, you know, which you know, was awesome. Right. They've, they've come up with some things. And I think three on three, isn't three on three basketball at yeah, some right. point? Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, hey, good. Adapt. You know, to your yes. point, I, the, yes. the biggest thing I heard in all of that, that you talked about six on six is more touches for kids. Well, and you cannot get enough of that, right? They need to get it in the, they need to get in the pocket. They need to be able to throw it. It's something I'm really fortunate about now that my kids are at a young age. It's going to be very interesting. Just even the last two years Mm. of my kids playing sports before, when I coached, I had no invested interest. My Mm -hmm. kids weren't in this. I was generally doing because I love sports. I'm passionate about giving back now, even in a short time, you really see how parental influence when you coach influences the development of a sport. So I think I hopefully can take my expertise in running the school program. When I started it for the Roughnecks, mm-hmm. being the technical director of Alberta lacrosse, coaching at a high elite level to really help introduce things that are going to make the, the kids experience better because in lacrosse, especially we have a really hard time with 
people that haven't played at a high level. Mm -hmm. I will never talk poorly about any volunteers. If we don't have parents that give back to the game, Mm -hmm. we are in trouble, Mm -hmm. but they do need some sort of expert. And I'm really going to take a lot of pride and hard work Mm -hmm. in trying to help develop, especially girls lacrosse. So the U9 Fury just started two years ago. This is only going to be girls lacrosse before you had to go play with the boys. So I'm really excited to try to be inclusive to girls and create a program, hopefully through my expertise, to give kids that wonderful experience, and then we hook them in sport for life. So let's let's talk about elite versus grassroots, because this is right in my bailiwick. This yeah. is what I spend most of my time. I think, on, on most of our sports, I think our, pro- our elites are not our problem. No. I think our elites get taken care of. Where I worry is the grassroots, the bottom of the pyramid. The top of the pyramid will always be there, but you've got to build out that base. Does lacrosse do a good enough job building out that base of just getting young kids in, and, and, you know, not having to be a Raider, not having to be a yeah. roughneck, but just lacrosse for life. Well, I think that's what's lacking in sports. The, the winning has taken over mm-hmm. everything in sports. Yep. Sports should be about, if I'm 40 years old, I can go play pickup lacrosse. Right. That's what's true sports. Sports isn't about... Sport for life. Sport for life. Yep. And the sport for life is crashing down, mainly, I think, because parents are really driving. Winning is successful. If you don't win... That's what sports is about. That's what it's not about. So lacrosse is doing a much better job recently with tri lacrosse, Mm -hmm. scoop lacrosse. But it's when parents get involved, they take it to the umpteenth level so quickly Mm -hmm. that it's just like, hey, man, let's come out and just play. Even this year with the U9, they said, oh, we got to play all these games. I'm like, I will create an experience for kids if we don't play one game. Because the kids will want to come back. Yep. We're going to have fun. We're going to practice basic skills. We're yep. going to do skills that I can take to my neighborhood kids yep. and throw out a few sticks in the cul-de-sac and say, hey, let's do some cradling. Let's do some shooting. Exactly. So is it getting better? Yes. But I don't know as a society how we can get removed from winning. Because I, you must see it. And think, look oh, I, dude. It's, it's insane. You, it is absolutely it's crazy. insane. Uh, look, it's crazy. Uh, you know, Tom Ferry from the Aspen Institute, I, I quote it all the time. North American sports are built for the adult, not the kid. But North American yes. youth sports are built for the adult, not the kid. It's not the kid that needs a third jersey. It's, it's not, not the awful. kid that needs to go to a tournament. It's not. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, what was it, six, seven years ago, there was some Adam team doing beep tests before the, and like, oh, you know, I got a text, I was ranting on it. Somebody texted me back. Oh, my kid loves, no, your kid doesn't like you do. You think it, you know, and, and it's not all parents, but unfortunately it's what happens when you get a group together. If if some start to do it, everybody feels like they're compelled to do it. And I think that's why you have dropout rates. I think that's why we're talking about the pyramids. I think that's why you have exhaustion and be perfectly honest. I think that's why we have diversity issues. I really do. Because I think there's some cultures that look at it and go, I want nothing to do with that. Right. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about any particular sport. I'm just saying, you know, there's certain sports you look at, you go, Oof, I'm, I'm not paying for that. Well, and I'm guilty in it as anyone being a young parent. It's funny. We we're talking about it, about how I, you know, I want to give my kids everything. I want to have sure. them in the bed experience. Sure. sure. And then I was reading something and they said, how many times have you been giving something to your kids without your kid asking for it? And I was like, man, my kids don't need this. My kids don't want this. This is my projection. Correct thinking that they need this. Correct. If my kids want something, they will come ask me for it. Correct. So I think that really translates to sports and it's about finding people in that culture and leadership roles that can promote that. Is yes. it tough? Yes. But you want to talk about being able to impact a sport. Hopefully 
the things I've learned, yeah. I can now take that having young kids and try to implement that. But it's tough. I get caught up on my guilty and I'm very, I'm very worried, not worried, but it's going to be very interesting to see how I can bring that back without myself getting focused on that winning aspect. Well, I mean, look, there's lots of issues, uh, you know, and I'll just throw one more out because I always say I'm the product of failure. I just don't think we celebrate failure enough. I just don't think, or not celebrate it, but appreciate its no, impact. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's, again, I don't want Johnny to fail. I don't want Betty to fail. I, I, I want them to be as successful as possible. And you see this all the time when it comes, I, I will absolutely, you'd, I don't get it. When we get to the, uh, um, uh, the, the selections at the beginning of the year, uh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember. Like evals. Evals. Like no, nobody, I, I, you know, this, I used to get letters and emails from parents to the radio station going, you got to talk about my kid. He didn't make the, the, the peewee <laughs> team. And it's, it's a big, you know, controversy in it. There, it, the, the parents don't get it. Like, do you want your kid to be the 13th forward or your kid want to be the number one forward? Right. Why, you should yeah. embrace if you didn't make one, let him go dominate too. Cause you and I both know we've been around scouts. Don't miss. Like they'll find they can play seven eight level, and if he's the best, they'll find him. The sport always lifts, but we're always pushing the wrong way. We're always pushing from behind. Right? It's funny you say. I remember Brian Burke. I think it was saying the cream will always rise to always the top. Always rise to the top. The best players, if they're in Timbuktu, yep. and he's the best player, yep. we're going to find the best player. And I, I remember when I was the technical director of Alberta Lacrosse, and I put the I put forward. And I said, listen, we need parity across the whole board. Yeah, Parity. We're going to take all the best players, all the worst players, and we're going to divide them into teams. Yeah. And you would have thought, oh my God. I said, yeah. we're going to chop off the legs of kids. Yep. Well, these best kids, I'm saying, you're not listening to what I'm saying. If you want to be an elite, you can go on a separate team, which we're going to create in a different season. Yes. So you can still have the elite impact. But what we're going to do is we're going to empower the best kid. Yep. To help and be a role model, mm-hmm. a great teammate, mm-hmm. someone that's going to take that skill for the rest of their life in the workforce. Soft skills you're talking about? Yeah. Soft skills. To help them yeah. be a great person. Yeah. Oh, no, John, you can't do that. We need the best on the best. And the people that can't catch, they need to go together and figure it out. And I'm like, well, no wonder there's segregation. Yeah. No wonder there's diversity. No wonder Johnny plays lacrosse for two years and says, yeah, this sport isn't for me. And I think sports now is in a real predicament with the ability for kids to choose different things. And you're even seeing it now where, man, if kids aren't good or they don't like it, they just quit. And then they're on to coding. And then they're on to mountain biking. When I grew up, there was like four sports. You played one here. You played one here. With the choice and the way these things, kids have options nowadays, it, it's a very interesting time for sports and being able to keep the person in there. And I think creating people, just like you said, sport for life. Yep. Let's create great humans for life. So... I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I again, what arena have you gone into? Um, and and God love them. They're some of my friends, and I'm not knocking them. But I, I don't go into arenas and see the bulletin board full of leadership skills camps or teamwork no. skills camps yeah. or whatever. That there's no money in that. Well, there, there. Right? You just hit a big money. Is the big one? No, too, it's right? revenue. It's all yeah. about revenue. But it's back to, it's back to youth sports are built. For the parent, not for the kid, yes. right? And, yeah. you know, it's, it's not all cases. And I'm not painting everybody with a brush, and I get it, but we're all kind of caught up in this rat race. That's what it is. It's a rat race. You know, we don't even get time to stop and think about it half the time, right? You know, oh, my kid's going to play in the spring league. Oh, I better I better do that. Did your kid have a, a nutritionist? A what? Yeah. yeah, I better get a nutritionist. <laughs> That's right. You know, and it, it is a, it's a, yeah. 
Anywho, I don't know how we ended up there. Sorry. But yeah, no, 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 don't apologize to me. I love it. Um, okay. Kind of rapid fire, not real rapid fire, but kind of rapid fire. What's, what's the state of the professional lacrosse as a game as you see it? I mean, you got the PLL and you got, you know, out, you got field in the summer. The NLL's growing, teams in Vegas yeah. and things like that, new CBA. When you started to now, is are we any closer? It doesn't feel like we're any closer to the next step for professional lacrosse, which would be full-time players. We're heating up. Are we? Trending in the right direction. Good, okay. Really, really good. Great owners, huge registration in the States, which in turn means people. Mm-hmm. Collegiate lacrosse adapting box lacrosse. Registration, it will be interesting to see after COVID. Okay. But in terms of ownership, the ability for them to put resources and money back into the community, the NLL has never been in a better spot. Just hired a great new commissioner. If we turn on that path, I would say the most productive, most exciting, most fast forward thinking here in the next five years, I think it can really take off. Really, really take off. So you're confident. Why are you confident? Money. The ability for people to give back resources into the community, which in then turn is allowing people to do greater and broader programs. The right. problem with lacrosse was there was always this pro league, but then there's nothing to trickle down. The filter down was always all over the place. It's starting to get a lot more organized. The increased numbers in the States is actually a really, really big one. Like the population in Canada is not big enough. It's still such a niche sport to sustain, but there's millions and millions of kids playing lacrosse in the States right now, which is in turn driving the engine. It, it wasn't you guys that played San Diego in the outdoor game, was it? No, it was Vegas. It was Vegas, right. Vegas. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What did you make of that? Awesome. Yeah. Great for the game, great promotion. San Diego's an interesting city as there's so much to do. But even if you look at the crowds in Vegas, they've been great this year. They're, they? The model that the Roughnecks have really implied of coming to enjoy the fan experience mm-hmm. because pro sports is so expensive. Like I look to take my kids to an NBA or, and you're like, this is going to cost me thousands of dollars where yes, it's crazy. So <laughs> yes. the, the, you want to talk about another issue? That's yes. another, that's another show yeah, we can come absolutely. talk about. Um, but it's in a really good spot. Really good spot. I just, I, you know, I, I had a brief little fling with it for a year and I came away from it going, be your, be your own game. Yeah. Be your own game. Right. I, I still think there's elements of the NLL that chases you know, other sports. Uh, and I'll be very, I, I'm not saying anything that I didn't say to Mike Board or anybody else with the Roughnecks or the NLL, to be perfectly honest. It frustrates me that they want to do hockey broadcasts of lacrosse. Yeah. Like, you know, and they, they pat themselves on the back and they go, it's a great broadcast. Yeah, it's an absolute great broadcast. It's as good as any American Hockey League or G League broadcast I've seen. Why wouldn't you go out and do something completely different. I think of you all the time. Why even bother chasing that? Why wouldn't you take Twitch? And why wouldn't you say to the Colorado Mammoth, you're off this week, but you know you and a couple of coaches sitting on Twitch and watch the other games? Yeah. Or something idea. like that. Yeah, you, no, you know what I mean? Like, sure. just do it differently because you... <laughs> You and I were in Los, uh, Los Angeles. We were in Vancouver with the old, uh, I can't even remember, Ravens? Ravens, right? yeah. We were doing a game there, and, you know, and I remember being a playoff game in 04 down in uh, San Jose, and Tim McAuliffe shows up from the score. And yeah. it, it's been on TV. It's always kind of been that ancillary thing, but it's never been its own, had its own product, its own identity on that side, right? Yeah. No, you're right. And I think players getting into broadcasting is a big thing. There's not a lot of players right no. now. That have given back to lacrosse. Like I remember but there's not I, a lot of opportunity either. There's right? zero opportunity because I even wrote to the commissioner when the commissioner came and met all the teams. I was like, do you guys know 
you don't even have a telestrator on your TSN broadcast. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, let me give you an example. Here's a clip for 30 seconds. I'm like, instead of saying, oh, Johnny's such a great guy from Mississauga, yeah, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. His brother is Tony who plays with him. Yeah. I would simply go, hey, I'm going to circle this guy. Watch how he's going to set a pick here. I would draw an X and I would draw this guy coming around because the general people have no idea what's going on lacrosse. Zero. We haven't created. Hey, Hell, they don't know what's going on in the NFL. Why do you think Tony <laughs> Romo has been so successful? That's right. Because he's been predicting stuff. And oh, yeah. look, he's right. That's right. So there, there's an avenue which I've actually talked to many teams yeah, about. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I don't understand of saying, we need to do a better job of explaining it's safe, what's going on. But it's safe, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, it's safe not to try anything. And, you know, and I I just tweeted it out. Well, actually, it was our, uh, it was our reading assignment last week. Was there's was, I didn't know you could, if you buy the little blue check mark from Elon, you can <laughs> right. now write for 4,000 words or something like your characters. Some dude wrote this huge, long tweet about F1. It was bang on. Like, F1 drive to survive. In my lifetime, I have never seen a broadcast impact a sport. Yeah, crazy. Like it did. Hey, World Juniors, TSN built that. Absolutely, 100%. And, you know, you could talk about uh, the NBA used to be tape recorded and played at midnight. I get all that. But nothing quite like what F1 drive to survive. And I hear it all the time. Well, we got to build our own. Yes, but, 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 but. The yeah. thing about those guys is they said, screw, screw that. We're just... You know, I don't care. And and I think the NLL, and, and, and I think you saw that, and I, again, I apologize. Is it, is it PLL? PLL, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, they did that, right? They mic'd up players, yeah. and they were doing stuff. Guess what? They got $12 million from ESPN. The NLL got nothing. They got a platform. Oh, they didn't sure. get money, right? You need some of that innovation, don't you? You have to. Well, and especially nowadays. Like the old thing of people not understanding and saying, oh, we don't need to be on Instagram, or we don't need to be on TikTok. Well, then you're four steps behind. Yeah. You need to find out what, and I think safe. And like you said, and I think failure, I think you hit the nail on the head. If people, if you're going to cap your development as a person or a league or an organization, because you're scared of failing, Mm -hmm. well, then you're never going to achieve your ultimate greatness. Right. Sure. You might fail and it might cost you and you might learn, but hopefully what you can derive out of that is okay. This didn't work. This didn't work. But if one plus one can equal this, then we'll be in a great space. So, and I think back to your point with these new owners, with the amount of money and maybe a little more security because the NLL was such a fragile thing. Folding sure, here and there. Sure. There's no team, I think, that's in, in any danger now of folding. So with that, maybe comes a little more ability to have some more risk. Yeah. No, I, I again, it's going to be a very competitive marketplace, oh, yeah. right? If it sure isn't already, well, it's already is a very competitive marketplace. Um, tell me about life as a coach in a non, in the non city in which you work. Oof, travel is hard. Okay. Travel but is tough. But you can tough. direct to Denver direct. from here. I am very lucky. It's direct flights. We get great flight times. Um, I think the one thing I've learned in just general living you really got to be disciplined and focused in terms of like, I know it sounds like an excuse. People are going to be like, he gets to fly, but it's tough with young kids. And then you yeah. come back and you're eating poorly and you might not be exercising. It is a little bit of a challenge. I'm super lucky with the organization. They treat us well. We have elite travel. We're not, it's gone are the old days. Like I'm not flying yeah. to Vancouver and then Seattle and then Denver. <laughs> yeah. We're still on like our normal planes, but um, it definitely is a challenge. I think you become appreciative of the situation and city that you live in. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely opened up. I've got to see amazing places. I've got to learn about a different organization. Yeah. Um, the Mammoth are owned by a Cron- billionaire. Cronky. Cron- yeah. yeah. Who's treats us professional. I mean, I don't know if you saw our rings, our rings were like as nice as the, 
the abs rings. We got this box, which is a lifelong memory. So nothing but positive and great things about the experiencing, but traveling every weekend is, can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it can. Um, what about the work though? I mean, video technology being the way it is now, how much has that impacted? How much has Zoom impacted your, your ability to coach during the week? Well, it's made the product on the floor much better. So for example, mm. I'll get the game right away 24 hours. I've already cut the film. All the guys have had access. I can see who's watching it. Tuesday nights, we get everyone from all over North America on our team. We go through our decal. So I've already broke down the film. I go through each individual clips of our past game. All the guys are watching it on their screen, which is so much more not only accessible, but it allows us to perform an elite level because back in the day, yep. we'd go and we'd have film 20 minutes before the game and say, you got to know this, 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 this guy's tendency. So now I have all the film cut of our game from the past week. We play Vegas this week, all the, every goal they've scored organized mm-hmm. by players, huge amount. And it's really going in a great direction. So that's really impacted the performance on the floor and allowed these guys to be, it's a lot more professional. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah. It's, it's really professionalized the game of lacrosse. Do you have, now that you have their attention and now that, you know, you have this system in place, do you find that you have to do anything to kind of keep it fresh? Um, you know, yeah. the business world went through this. Every, oh, Zoom's great. And then all of a sudden Zoom meetings started, you know, people kind of zoning out and, you know, putting sure. up their cat yeah. pictures and stuff like that. What do you do to keep your players engaged? So three things I've learned, even as recently as this year, clips can't be longer than 20 seconds. Players lose attention span. I do 10 clips, 15 clips. And then we have to talk about it because if I just roll through 40 clips, guys are drifting. Even after we've gone through clips, um, just video, we really have to go on the floor and walk through it or even draw it out because everybody learns different. That's one thing I've learned about coaching. Mm -hmm. I might understand something from watching a video, but other people learn completely different. People have to physically walk through it or draw it on a whiteboard, or I have to get them to explain what I'm, because it doesn't matter if I know it as the coach. Yeah, My job as a coach is to make sure in whatever realm or way I can deliver it, the players understand it. So being a lot more concise and shortening our video clips, because attention span these days, those phones really get you. Oh, they do. They do. So tell me a little bit about the responsibility of defensive coordinator in your system. How much is put upon your plate by the head coach? Man, I'm so fortunate. And that's one thing I cannot say enough about Pat Coyle and even our general manager, Brad Self. We're super active and lucky being involved in player discussions, Mm -hmm. who we want on the roster. And that doesn't go, I don't think it's like that in every other team. I really feel like we're a group brought together and have the ability to work as a team. I don't feel segregated to the defensive end. If the old coach says, hey, do you see something being a lacrosse guy? I really feel it's not just blowing wind, that I have the ability to say, hey, I do see this, and that he'll take my opinion. So as a coach, that you can't ask for anything better than that. In terms of responsibility, the DN, Pat Coyle, NLL Hall of Famer, yeah. someone who I played with as a defensive mind, we've really gotten a good mesh to kind of work together and get on the same fundamental pace. We have a pretty straightforward system that doesn't have a lot of gray areas. So it's really the ability to go back to true North when we're struggling is really important. I think that's something in lacrosse looking at other teams that they necessarily don't have. It seems a little bit more mumbo jumbo, a little more gray. We're very clear. This is our role. This is what you need to do in a situation. If we're not successful, here's how we get back to that. And if we are successful, much like the championship last year, this is the formula stick to the formula. Um, Fourth year, right? Fourth year, yeah. Is head coaching the goal here? For sure. I think head coach or GM is definitely a goal of mine. Uh, Coaching in the NLL was the ultimate goal, which I did, and I'm so happy for that. I'm still relatively a young coach in terms of 
coaches in the NLL. Yep. Do I know, will it happen in the next two, three, four years? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Will I have to take a break with my kids being young? Possibly. Ultimately, a career goal and a life goal of mine is to either be a head coach or GM. Absolutely. Uh, and right now, game below 500? Yeah. Okay. But lots of time. Not lots of time. Not lots of time. Running out of runway here. Are you? Yeah. We're in, we're in uh, back up against the wall, whatever sport analogy you want to use here. So we got five a, weeks or yeah, five weeks. We got to, I think we got to go three or four out of five here, but you do have a couple of games in hand, don't you? One game in hand. We the in van wasn't a good one to lose. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a very trying, tough year, injuries, championship hangover. Mm -hmm. Everyone's chasing the big dog, a variety of reasons. Like we talked about, it's, it's such a finite thing when you move the dial one way or another, but that's sports. Yeah. <laughs> that's, sports. that's what they say. That's, that's sports. sports. Um, how how difficult is it going to be to coach your daughter? I'm concerned about it. I, I'm excited about it. Right. Like I said, I didn't want her to play lacrosse. I was like, ah, let's wait for next year. And she really came and said, hey, dad, I really want to play. I think because she sees it, she watches it every weekend. She gets the mama shirt on. I think it's going to be a challenge in not getting expectations like, I'm now coaching my daughter. We have to have the best team. I'm now coaching my daughter. I want her to go be a Div 1 athlete. I think really being have the ability to remind myself that she's playing with her friends. She's laughing. She's talking about it two days later. Yeah. Those are really the important things, but I think I'm going to have to be cognizant of, of that. The, the single bit of advice that I would give you, not that I coach my kids, but um, even just as a parent, I, I think we really, really, really underestimate the car ride. Yeah. At home. Great point. I think, yeah. I just think that's one piece that, you know, I can still remember you know, dad chewing my ass or right. even praising me. I can still remember those conversations, right? Uh, that's such an important one. So make sure you take it easier, you know. Don't, yes, I think don't my parents, man, home. I give my parents, I, can, I cannot remember, and I played a lot of sports growing up, multi-sport athlete. Yeah. I do not have one memory of my parents ever criticizing me, yelling at me, saying I needed to do something better. Zero memories of that, which in turn looks like, and they did something right. Like yeah, I was exactly. No, no. I was really fortunate. And look how I turned out. Yeah, look, Not that I'm an elite look athlete. Look how you turned out. But I did look, okay. Look how you turned <laughs> out. Um, but before I let you go, uh, tell the story, because it's one of my favorites. But tell the story about uh, that I told off the top. You were hosting Roughnecks. I, Kirsch always had bad names for these things. Roughnecks, Roughnecks Radio? Was it Roughnecks Radio? Yeah, yeah. I think so. And then you, you ended up, and you were doing it live on a game day, yeah. right? Yeah. I'd go to shoot around. Yeah. Then I'd come to the studio and film and like tape it. Yeah. Go have a little nap, go to the game. Right. Yeah. But you would have, I don't even think it was one time, but you would have. Oh, I'd have every week. I'd have someone from the other team on, whether it be a player. On game day. Yeah yeah. 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 Whether it be another player coach. Well, that's just relationships. They didn't care. I didn't care. That's the competitive side and saying, Hey man, we're going to use our relationship. We've had to talk about the game and then I'll see you at the game. And now I owe you a beer because you did me a solid. <sighs> I guess so, but I mean, <laughs> I just remember we would talk about that all the time. It's yeah. like, oh, let's let's get Daryl Sutter to talk to Craig McTavish. That would be great radio. Like it was, it was just unheard of at the time. It was, it was, you know, credit Kelly in the sense that he For had sure. the, the the you know the idea of putting you on there. It, it so much of that stuff was podcasting before podcasting. It really right, was, right? Yeah, it really was because I don't then, I don't actually know how many people actually would listen because it was like 
12 to one. I think if yeah. you did it now in a different format, like we're doing now, yeah, the podcast, yeah, yeah. I think it would actually get a lot more. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, it would, would. Because there were some great interviews. I actually wish I could find just to have like talking to Jeff Shatler when he went to Saskatchewan mm-hmm. the first year. And we were just talking like I've been his roommate for, for 10 years about the funniest thing. He's being honest about the transition. It was really a raw intimate. It was, there was no guards yeah, up. There was zero guards. There up, was zero guards, which up. is funny to say that now you say it, but. It was pretty cool. No, it was. Yeah. It was. It was. It's, uh, yeah. You, you the, we, 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 the collective we, need you back on this format somehow. Well, we I have really to find a way. I, I feel, I felt nervous coming on here. I still feel nervous. nervous. But it was great to, I really appreciate the ability to go off and talk more than sports, just about grassroots and all these things. I miss it. So I'd love to get back on it. It's great oh, to be here. I, I, listen, we very rarely even talk about sports around here nowadays. <laughs> That's good. With so much craziness. Uh, good to see you, pal. Great to see you. I appreciate it. Thank you it. for doing this. Of course. Anytime. You'll come back, right? I will. Okay. Thanks. A- Andrew McBride, everybody. He, uh, he of the Colorado Mammoth, the defending NLL champions. Um, but a little trouble right now. We'll see. In trouble. <laughs> in trouble. That's okay. You and I have been around the NLL long enough to know. Oh, we that, do. You know, it all comes down to the last week. And then the mini game. Oh, there's no more mini oh, games. Thank God. <laughs> thank we'll God there's no more mini games. All right. Uh, Ryan Pike will join us in a couple of minutes. We are live in the Oodle Noodle Studio. Local, loved, delicious. Since opening their first store back in 2005, Oodle Noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Pickup and delivery. Um, the Today's reading assignment, which I believe is, uh, yeah, just got tweeted right now. Uh, pickleball plans New York City takeover this summer. Pickleball plans New York City takeover this summer. Doug Greenberg, the front office sports. It's worth, uh, if you're not aware of pickleball, uh, and how, how, where have you been if you're not aware of pickleball? Uh, they are building 14 courts in Central Park. This is the part that got me. The off-peak rate is $80 an hour. The peak rate is $120 an hour. If you are not paying attention to, pick, to pickleball, you're missing out on something. So make sure you check that out. Uh, and just wanted to bring your attention to a couple things. Uh, the Heritage Committee in uh, the, uh, the Parliament, um, according to Rick Westhead, got a busy week coming up. Uh, Hockey Canada has been given 24 hours to turn over their uh, final report into the 2018 findings of the alleged sexual assault of the World Juniors. So that's worth noting. Uh, as well, on Thursday, they'll be bringing in the former leaders of Soccer Canada as they dive deeper into the situation in which Soccer Canada finds itself. And apparently, uh, they are now taking uh, witnesses who are calling for a national inquiry into abuse in sports. So it could be a very, very busy week for the Heritage Committee, and it should be a very, very busy week for the Heritage Community. Uh, as we say goodbye to our pal, Andrew McBride, joining us. On Wednesday, Cami Kepke will be here, and on Friday, our very special WrestleMania show. Our very special WrestleMania show. Uh, by the way, we are broadcasting today uh, from... Treaty 7 territory, and of course, this is an inclusive program. You're welcome. Uh, this is a safe spot. We'd love to have you here, uh, which is actually something I'm going to bring up with our next guest, uh, who joins us courtesy 
of our good friends and brand new, we added them today. The ski seller and snowboard, ski seller snowboard.com is where you go. 76 years in our city, 76 years in our city. Four locations McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, Bow Ridge Road Northwest by the McDonald's at the bottom of Windsport, and in the Frank King Day Lodge at Windsport. And it's not just skis and snowboards, it's all the stuff that you need to keep warm and dry great time to get great deals on gear in the springtime for the mountains and make sure you ask them make sure you ask them about hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today those snow skates because they are something else uh he is something else he joins us now as he does on every monday the managing editor of flames nation ryan pike in studio kids he found his way we left the breadcrumbs he followed him and here he is finally makes his live in-person debut you are an actual human being yeah i feel like you're not ai generated not usually not you not usually (laughs) if if i was ai generated i'd be much more clever i guess so i don't know how are you Good. It's uh. It seems like this is a uh, a market these days where stories keep unfolding. It's it was a, an eventful weekend. It looks mm-hmm. like it'll be another eventful week. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would you like to start? Well, I mean, if you want to start with good news, I mean, yeah. Saturday the Flames beat a team they should be beating, and uh, one of their does it matter at this point? Uh, I think in, until they have a little E next to their name in the standings, I think they're gonna keep on scrapping and you know give them credit. I mean. Walker Dewar, like we'll we'll probably talk about a collegiate player momentarily, but <laughs> it's but, possible. But a you know Walker Dewar was a guy that they got from you know uh, Minnesota Mankato. Uh, they were they're scouting a bunch of different guys. They yep. got him. They found him. I I love these kind of stories. Flames found uh, David Riddick mm-hmm. in in uh, Czechia when they were scouting Daniel Priebel, uh noted NHL non entity. Daniel Pribel. He yeah. did, didn't work out in North America, yeah. but they found David Riddick. Uh, when they were looking at uh, Connor Mackey, they stumbled upon Walker Doerr, and yeah. Walker Doerr has become one of the most consistently fun players to watch in, in the organization, both when he was with the Wranglers and now. And he had himself a good game. He was, you know, he uh, he got to play with Nazem Kadri and uh, 
former Stanley Cup champion Milan Lucic made a couple of really nice plays to set yeah. up the the you know they we were talking about uh, you know the, the Flames have been sort of an up and down team uh, and at times to use a Simpsonism they've stepped on some rakes yes and they were they were up to nothing everything looked great all of a sudden up oh, two two all of a sudden up oh, three two and then by the t- by the time Beasley finished announcing the three two goal it was three three yeah that's how quickly they scored but you know if if you want don't want to have the here we go again feeling in the crowd on the bench on social media. That's kind of what you have to do, and Walker Door calmed the uh, the nerves of a, a jangled Flames nation of fans, and then he's made a really nice play in the game winner. So I mean, he's <laughs> I don't know what his next contract looks like, but it might be a one way based on how he's playing. But he's you know he's he's a guy they you know Garnet Hathaway another one they found Garnet Hathaway as I'm, AHL depth and went maybe yeah. he'll turn into something. They got Walker Door as AHL depth and said maybe he'll turn into something and. Two players who play a very similar brand of hockey who turned into somethings. Well, and and you know, because you, you've covered enough drafts that drafting and developing your own players is one thing. You also need to try and un- over t- you know turn over some rocks, to your point. You know, David Riddick was that. Um, you know, Garnet Hathaway was that. I, I mean, there was a one of those Jay Feaster summer camps. Noel Cherry was there, and yeah. uh, there was like five guys that would end up. Only one of them, I think it was Har- Garnet, was the only one that stayed. But, you know, there's guys, they were at least identifying guys that had a potential to do that, make that jump, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, we've you know, we've, we've talked about the, the Matthew Phillips uh, yeah. dilemma in the past, but, I mean, you know, the, the Flames, you know, all due respect to Daryl Sutter as, as a coach, he was not a great manager. And I think one of the challenges that he had as, as a manager was backfilling the, the pro ranks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're drafting a lot of guys who sort of seem like the same version of the same player, just at a different position, yep. it's really difficult to adjust for, you know, year to year variations in how the game is played. And, you know, as a result, the, the flames had a lot of work to do when, when Jay Feaster came in and took over his GM. But I think, you know, first under Jay and now, you know, I think Brad and his staff have done a really nice job too, drafting a bunch of different types of people, different yeah. types of players. Like they have, you know, I'd say, you know, you can, I've seen people criticize uh, the 2020 draft. Uh, and I think rightfully so. I think everyone has their own idea of mm-hmm. what a perfect draft is, but that was a draft where they, you know, they started off with a first round pick, and very little beyond that. Uh, and then they traded down twice, got two third-round picks. They used one third-round pick to get Jake Boltman, who sort of projects as sort of a shutdown defenseman. They got another pick that used on Jeremy Poirier, who's turned into a really nice story in the American League yeah. this year. And then they got Connor Zary, who was, you know, allegedly the guy they wanted, or at least one of several guys on the list that they'd be happy with getting. Yeah. And so they got a guy who really fit their needs and then also were able to address some other things. And as a result... I mean, you know, they're drafting guys in the seventh round who are helping them, drafting guys in the fifth, sixth round that help them. They're drafting guys in the higher rounds that help them. And, you know, once the best goalie not playing in the National Hockey League was draft fourth and last in 2019. Mm -hmm. I was at that draft. I've never heard a building so quiet. Then a guy's name get announced. Then a few fans go, yeah, in the corner because uh, his, his his family's there, yeah. yeah because he's he played in Everett so yep. his a family and a bunch of teammates drove up from uh, from from C- the Seattle area for that draft and sat yep. around for a day and a half until he got drafted but I bet I bet they're feeling pretty good about that now both him his camp and the Flames because what he's he's on route to probably his fourth year in a row being the best goalie in the the league he's playing in mm-hmm. so that's <laughs> yeah I mean it's staggering his numbers his, he has thir- he he if you if you just ignored his non-wins. If you just looked at the games he's won, he has 38 wins. He has more wins than all but four goalies in the league have starts. 
Like oh. he's he has eleven. <laughs> like if you just he's played forty, I think forty eight or forty nine games, maybe fifty at this point. He's just yeah leads the league in like last year. I I was making the joke that he led the league in almost everything. He leads the league in everything: save percentage, wins, minutes, saves, shots. What's his contract status? Uh, one more year. One more year, and then okay. he, and he's uh, waiver exempt this year, next year. Actually, and the the next two years after this one. So okay, with goalies or waivers, so still a little a year fl- yeah, still a little flexibility there. Yeah, so, I'm sure, I, I, with those numbers, you'd have to think in most organizations you would have got to start by now. Would have got up here. I mean, and I'm not critical yes, of it. I just think that that's just the way. Well, I mean, you know, another guy from uh, I think I can't remember if he's the year before or the year after, but Yero Askarov, uh, the first rounder uh, from from Nashville. Yep, he's just get, dipping dipping his toe into the league now. And I mean, they've had more injuries, but you know, they had Pekarene. They mm-hmm. had you know, they've. I think when you have depth, like if, when you have uh, when you have a Jacob Markstrom, yep. you have the ability to just guys and you know they have Arseny Sergaev uh, in in UConn at uh, in the NCAA what a really nice freshman year he ended up uh, basically you know I think he was he was about 60 40 for starts with uh, Logan Turnus uh, at UConn it looks like he might be the starter next year so yep. you know you you, you know I, I Jorgen Siglet often jokes he's like I just wish they'd let me have a seventh rounder every year like if yeah with the way goalies are spend a sixth or a seventh rounder on a goalie every couple years and then just let them cook somewhere and then you know it's low risk. It's a it's a position with a lot of variability. But circling the square a bit, I mean, Walker Door, really nice collegiate player. They yep. just they just you know they they completed a, a nice bit of business uh, around supper hour on on Sunday that I'm sure they're pretty happy with. Yeah, Matt Coronado gets done. Um, yeah. It's one of those ones that, you know, and I remember back to Johnny Gaudreau. It was like, is he going to come? Is he going to sign? Is he, you know, he's always up for the Hobie Baker. Is he going to come? Is he going to sign? Um, and that's the news cycle. And then yeah. he gets here and it kind of goes, well, he's always coming here, right? Well, I, I remember, I remember, you know, uh, you, 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 you remember, I'm, I'm very old. Uh, I remember, I'm older. I, I remember that 20, the 2011 development camp of Dylan Hartman. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, right after the Flames drafted and people were like, I remember covering that draft for Flames Nation. And, you know, the, 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 the little blurb on him from Central Scouting was, you see his boxcars, like he's like, you know, led, led league in scoring. I think it was like third or fourth in league in scoring, rookie of the year, this, that, and the other thing. I think he was listed as 5'6", 135, because that's mm-hmm. central scouting, for those who don't know. Uh, they do a couple camps throughout the year, and they do a couple tours throughout the year. So, you know, they, they you know, I believe is USHL training camp, they go and weigh everybody. So at the beginning yeah. of oh, his yeah. draft year, he yeah, was yeah. buck 35. Yep. And I think by the time he was drafted, I think he'd gained some weight. So he was like 145, 150 maybe. And I remember people going, I don't know, he's kind of small, mm-hmm. and sort of poo-pooing the pick. And then as soon as they saw him on the ice at, at Don Hartman, I remember, you know, People were people were making jokes because they, he was being interviewed before. I think Alex Ruiz from uh, Flames mm-hmm. TV was interviewing him. Mm-hmm. People were like Alex Ruiz towers over this kid. Yeah, what the hell are they thinking? Yeah. And then you see him on the ice. You go, oh, yep. And then that yep. turned into the skepticism turned into almost blind panic from the fan base. Every draft, he won't every, come. Every he won't camp. come. But every, I'll give I'll give Johnny credit. I mean, you know, Johnny. He you know he always said you know. 30, uh, it was 30 teams at the time. 30 teams had a chance to draft Johnny Gautreau. 30 teams, two or three times went, nah, no, nah, not this guy. Not now, not here. And so, Johnny, it's true. Numbers, like, you know, for, it's true. For, for a guy who spent his entire, like, you know, Gaudreau is both the most talented player in his team and the smallest player in the team, basically since he started playing hockey. Mm-hmm. Definitely since he started playing high-level organized hockey. Yep. And I think two things stuck in his craw. People, people don't believe me, but also the people who did. And, you know, Jay Feaster, Todd Button, uh, and the scouts in that area, 
really like the player. They tried not to tip their hand how much they liked the player. Yeah, because, no, I, there was lots of drama on the floor. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, but they, they got him, and then yeah. they, you know, every year was like, are you, are you, is he going to sign? And every year he went, you know, I want to go play. You're in college. I want to really improve. It's good. You know, I'm a smaller guy. You yeah. know, he went to Boston College. Cam Atkinson went to Boston College. Yeah. Uh, a couple other guys, but can't, you know, Jerry York had a reputation of being kind of a taskmaster and a great structural systems details coach. There's a reason why he won so many national championships. And the thought process from Gaudreau was, I need to get better at like 25 different things. This is the place for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Then he was the MVP in the, the, the he, I think they, they won the NCAA championship his first year. And by the by about Christmas or January of his first year, he's the, probably the best player in college. Yeah. And then he did, and he's like, oh, I still want to get better away from the puck. You know, maybe one more year. And yep. then after his second year, he's like, well, you know, my, my brother and I chose Boston College together. He had he decommitted from Northeastern when yep. uh, the the coaching staff changed. Coaching change, yeah. Uh, and so you know he went, and he, but he was always very consistent. Like I want, you know, I'm doing this for this reason, yep. and after that, I'll sign. And when he signed, everyone's like, "Oh, I guess he was being serious." Like, what reason did you have to believe he wasn't being serious? Like, I mean, you're not gonna, if if local media asked you, "Are you going to sign?" You can hem and haw, or you can lie, or you can just say no. You know, you can. There's ways to not answer the question that doesn't make people think you're coming. But remember, they had just gone through um, the defenseman, the Swedish Tim, defense, Tim Erickson. Tim Erickson, thank you. That was, just, that was that was a and that was <laughs> poor Jay. His first, the first thing he has to deal with in the job is yeah. that whole situation. And I, I, I have no proof, but uh, the fact that he ended up where he ended up always led me to believe there's some shenanigans going on there, but who knows? Cause that never, it really didn't happen that often. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a first rounder demanding their way out of town. Almost never. And, and you know, some, some very tidy work. The flames got extra picks out of it. The yep. flames got Roman Horak out of it. The yep. player ended up where he wanted to be then, you know, and then failed. Yeah. And, As and, an NHL player. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I think, you know, imagine, you know, imagine that kind of putting that kind of pressure on yourself when you get, you know, you get to choose your spot, or you basically force your yep. force that hand, yep. and then nothing. Yep. Like you know. Yep. But you know the, the Flames. You know they go at what Granlin and Witherspoon and Horak, and then yep. uh, you know they turn those guys and other guys. Like I mean, they got assets out of it. They, they sure did. You know, Absolutely. It was a good move. Did. But you know, I understand the skepticism. I mean, I feel, feel I felt a little bit bad for for Matt Coronado because I mean the second question he was asked in his you know Zoom availability with us after he got drafted was so uh, you going to sign because uh, the last guy went to Harvard. That's right, Adam Fox. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, and Adam, that had just happened, did it not? Adam Fox had been drafted. I think Adam Fox got traded at the 2018 draft. Right. So, so not a year, a couple ju- years, a couple, a couple years, years but it was still fresh in everybody's mind. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I've seen on social media the people going like, "Oh, are they never going to draft a U.S. kid? Are they ever going to draft a kid from X, Y, and Z?" And like, they, yeah. just, they just want good players. I don't think they, they, you know, I've I've had long chats with uh, with Todd Button about these kind of things, and he's mentioned like, you know, they you do the homework, you ask the ask the players, but you know, I think the only thing would you agree the only thing they're really kind of scared of would be Russian players, you know, in I the contract. Right now, I, I, sorry, I think not at the top end, and I th- I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking pre-Ukraine and, and all of that, yeah, but yeah. but I think there was a, a while there, I think both Feaster and, and, you know, Tree Living would have taken them if they had, you know, a top pick, but I don't yeah. know if they wanted to get too far down. I right? believe I believe they got Rushin Rafikov and he never came over. He might be the best Russian that never came over, but, you know, they drafted Daniil Chechilev yep. and he's here in the organization, um, you know, 
guy from Belarus, uh, Ilya Solovyov, actually was already over here uh, with Saginaw as an import. Yeah, see, and he, so then that, he went yeah. back to the K, played a year in Minsk, then came back to here. So I mean, yeah, that blows holes in that too. I think yeah. I think I think you just take the best available player and and let the GM take care of the and other especially parts. you know you know get, getting down into the weeds a bit. I mean, with European players, I mean, most of them I think right now for everyone but Russia, it's you get four years mm-hmm. after they get drafted for you to sign them. With Russians right now, because there's no formal transfer agreement, you have infinity yeah. time. So there's really no downside. I mean, technically speaking, the Flames you know have until whenever to you know figure out if they want to keep Daniel Chechilev or not. I'm pretty sure they're going to make a decision one way or the other because they they like the kid and probably don't want to leave him twisting in the wind too yeah. much. But that's more of a relationship management thing than a you know a draft rule thing. But yeah, I'm 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 not surprised that Coronado got done because I had been told from folks close to him that the thought process was most guys are two and out mm-hmm. unless they're unless they really yep. love school. It's yep. two and out. Yeah, and he'd gone to the World Juniors. He'd been yep. he really took a big step last year after uh, a lot of his teammates went to the Olympics. I think he had two two of his older teammates went to play for Team USA in uh, in Beijing, and so he got a ton of extra ice time and. He made the most of it. He was one of the better players in college, uh, you know, the back half of last year. And, you know, now now he gets an opportunity. What should we expect? That's a good question. Thank you. I think he's going to be I'll, – I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I think their experience with, with Jacob Pelche, I think, had has really given them the idea. And I think it should. I mean, they did the same with Rasmus Anderson. Keep a guy around. Let him practice, let him get comfortable, and then try to put him in a position to be successful. Uh, you know, with with Pelche, the Flames have the ability to put him in the fourth line with some good players. And I think Pelche's skill set is he's kind of Paul Byrony in that you can put him anywhere and he'll give you quality minutes. Daryl said as much after the fact that everywhere they put him, he's been good. So with Coronado, I mean, he he can't really use him in as many situations as Pelche. He's not quite his his game's rounded, but it's I don't think he has as much polish because he hasn't he's you know younger. He hasn't played any pro games and those kind of things. Yeah. But I also think I mean he's been playing against for lack of a better term grown ass men, mm-hmm. and you know, he's been do, playing very well against grown ass men. Yeah. And I think it's just sort of a question of you know who do you want him to play with, what situations, and I think they probably you know. My guess is they're probably going to wait until they're definitively out of the playoffs in order to throw him in because I don't think you want to have a kid make his first mistake in the NHL and have that be the reason, you know, or have him yeah. think it's the reason. Yeah, I, no, I get you. I, I just I, I worry a little bit too because those games don't mean anything. So and it's tough. I think we overevaluate. We can't overevaluate in those games. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, they have... Somebody they, has to score. They got Anaheim coming up. They got Chicago coming up. I mean, they have some games yeah. that, you know, if you're if you're thinking, especially, you know, they got a, what the back-to-back is Chicago and Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So if you have the ability, I think, you know, I, I think Anaheim at home, you have last change. You can, yep. you know... You can hide them. You can hide them. You yep. can do that against Chicago. Chicago is aggressively not good this year, uh, almost on purpose. Uh, I think you can do that with that. And especially on a back-to-back where you probably want to, you know, you want to keep your best lineup possible. Yeah. If if that Winnipeg game is at all meaningful, you want to have everyone possible as fresh as they can. So, you know, having a Coronado for that for that game one might be helpful. Well, you're just looking at – we're looking at his numbers here, and uh, he's a goal scorer. Is it – what is he – is it his release? What is it that makes him successful as a goal scorer? He's kind of, I would say he's up there with Tyler DeFoley in terms of how quick and accurate releases. Like he's just, he's, you know, yeah. he, he's been a dynamo in the power play for them because he just, he gets the puck on his stick. And by the time the goalie realizes he has it, it's, it's behind him. Like mm-hmm. he has that kind of release. I think for him, it's just a question of can he get in positions 
you know, against NHL players to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, that's, that's always one of the challenges. I think, uh, again, the fact, you know, having someone, I think for him, having someone like Pelche, you know, they, they know each other from development camp. They've, you know, apparently Pelche and Michael Backman were the first two guys yep. to, to text uh, Coronado, welcome to the club, which says, a lot about both those guys in a lot of specific ways. Sure does. One of them's not actually neither of them is really surprising no. considering what we know about them. But and both should have had the uh, honor or will on have the honor of wearing the C, but may, probably not going to happen now. Yeah. Pelche might, but yeah, I, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All but right. I mean, you know, you know, having I think having someone like Pelche yep. around who is gone through it, knows the system, knows this and the other thing, knows what Daryl likes, knows how to. I think having you know. It's such, I would say, it's it's a group that the youngest guy in the organization on the roster outside of uh, Pelche is Rizichka, who's 23, yep. almost 24. And so having one or two guys who are in their early 20s, who know each other, who's been, who've been through this, who've been mm-hmm. through World Juniors, who've been through a lot of things, I think there's a lot of commonalities between those two players. And I think potentially they could really help each other succeed. And, you know, <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't be shocked to see them play together at some point this season because I think... They have so many complementarities in their game and in their personalities that I think could really help each other. Um, let's leave the big club. Let's talk about the Wranglers because it looks like we might be watching the Wranglers for a while. Um, you know, just rolling they're, through. They're, uh, they're pushing for a division title for they, the second year in a row. They are. Um, and then up and down, there's all kinds of stories. We, we talked a little bit about Wolf. I don't know how much more is to add there. Uh, the next step is for him to get a taste of the NHL. I don't think it's for him to move to the NHL. I think he still starts the American Hockey League next year, but I think you want to start getting... I, I'll say this. this could, depending on what happens with the big club over the next eight games, this could be a really transformative offseason. Front office, bench... Well, we can position. start there, too, because I, that was another question I was going to ask you. Is We don't know who's, who's going to be running it. We don't know who, what the philosophy is. Yeah. But is, am I out of out of the realm of possibility here to be considering that there might be four or five guys that could make a jump next year, not necessarily the beginning. Just just from a salary cap perspective, you know, I think right now they have, if they backfill their open spots with league minimum contracts, Mm -hmm. then they won't. They'll probably use more expensive guys than that. Uh, If you backfill with league minimum contracts, they're about a million, million and a half over the salary cap. And, you know, Brad for Living, at least, has tended to like to have about two and a half, thereabouts, million dollars in the cap space. Yeah. So you're probably looking at between now and wherever the season starts, assuming that Brad is either here or someone with a similar philosophy is running the show, you're looking at probably jettisoning four, four and a half million dollars in existing contracts just to give yourself wiggle room. Mm-hmm. And so that could mean any number of things. I mean, the Flames have, you know, a gold, a starting goaltender who, you know, was runner up for the Vesna last year, who's been very, very good the last six weeks or so they have a backup goalie who's cost controlled at a very nice number. Who's yep. still got a lot of upside. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure if someone calls the flames asking about Wolf, they'll get hung up on. Yeah. But if you talk to them about either of those two other goalies, I think they listen. I think, you know, they have a bunch of forwards. They have a bunch of forwards, a bunch of defensemen who are a year away from expiry. So you got to figure out a who's running the show. Yep. And B once you figure that out, how many of these guys want to stick around and at what number. Right. And once you kind of do that legwork, okay, we're heading into an entry draft in, in Nashville where, you know, this I've, I've joked about this on social media. That week's going to be such a cluster because mm-hmm. the Mondays, I, I see it. Monday's yep. the awards, Tuesday's the general manager meeting where they're going to, you know, tell everyone, okay, here's your captain yep. next year. And we're not anticipating it to be very high. Yep. And so Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the draft. Friday is the end of the buyout period and the, uh, and it's when qualifying offers are due for free agents. And then Saturday, Jerome McGinley's birthday, they, 
start the start the July first frenzy again. Yeah. So there's going to be like a six day period where everything happens, and so you're going to have a lot of teams going to Nashville going. Please let that cap number go up. Then they'll get told the cap number. Everyone will curse, and then everyone will get on their phone being like, hey, can you help us out? So if you're the Flames, you know, if you, you've, you haven't had a great year. A lot of weird stuff has gone wrong, but I think the fact that it happened now gives you the ability to sort of have those tough conversations and go, what are we doing? What do we want to do in a year, two, three years? What does that look like from a cap perspective? What's it look like from player development? Yep. The fact is you got Coronado in. Where does Coronado slot in? Connor Zeri's, you know, Wealth or 13th in scoring in the American League right now as a second year pro. You've watched him. He can, he, in. can he play at the next level? He's pretty close. Okay. He's, pretty, He's close. pretty close. Yeah. Okay. He, he might need a little bit more polish. Sure. But he, he, you know, if you threw him in now, he'd be just fine. I think they want him to be better than just fine. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But they have a lot of guys who are probably maybe a couple months away. I, I would say this Connor Zary, if you, you know, if you give him a couple months as the go to guy in that club next year, like say, you know, With October, November. Assuming by Phillips goes somewhere else. Yeah by, yeah, by Christmas, I think he might be ready. Okay. What about Jeremy Poirier? Oh, man. He's he's so good in the power play. His his puck handling in the offensive zone is okay. very good. His puck handling in the other two zones, kind of iffy. He reminds me at times about, you know, first two years of Shillington in North America. Okay. But offensively, like, this is what we were told to expect from him from his experience in the queue. Crackerjack, yeah. offensive player, very good, very creative, very consistent. It's just... Is his anticipation of things away from the play needs a little bit of work, but you know, he, compared to how he started the season, he's made big strides. Sure, and you know, he's he's with a, a head coach there that if he plays poorly, he'll get told very bluntly yeah. what he needs to improve. And I think you know that's been a really good environment for him because you know he's improved in that respect. Uh, Jan Kuznetsov uh, has improved. Uh, Ilya Slavyov might be the, the story that no one's really talking about, where he might be you know, getting close to pushing for third pairing duties in the NHL because, you know, there's, he's, he's basically, I describe him as a black hole. Nothing happens for either team when he's on the ice, especially the other team. And if you're, you know, the current head coach or most mm-hmm. head coaches, in the national hockey league, if you say we got a 22 year old kid who's played in the KHL, played a couple of years in the AHL. And when you throw him on the ice, the other team can't get anything going. Good. That's that's kind of so what he wanted could, he could that being the case he could be a seventh defenseman because you wouldn't yeah. want Poirier in that if if you still need to round him out he's got to play not unlike the conversation with Zeri right yeah and I th- I think with I think Poirier probably needs another year okay maybe half a year but you know they they have they have a lot of guys who are projects but a lot of guys who are projects were starting to make really nice strides and you know it's just a question of the consistency aspect of it always, which is yeah. probably you know that's always the hardest part to get to I think yeah. Adam Rizicka turned into a very good AHLer but even the American, at the NHL level, he still had those ups and downs in his game, which is why he's not in the lineup as often as right. he probably might like to be. But they, they have a lot of, and you know, we talked about you know the Flames' ability to backfill the organization. They have a lot of guys who can play a lot of different roles. You know, it's not like you're going, oh, this guy, you know, Kuznetsov might you not might not want him to be on your power play, mm-hmm. but if he's your PK guy, he could be pretty good. He's sort of more of a depth guy right now because of his his uh, offensive upside not quite rounding out yet. But he could he could fill a role. They have guys who can kill penalties. Like they they've used a lot of different young guys in a lot of different or a lot of different situations to the point where they they can do a lot of different things. So if somebody gets hurt, you have like three or four different options in terms of okay, what kind of skills do you need to bring in to fill in gaps? But they don't have, and and part of it's because of where they draft. But they don't have game breakers. No, right? They I would say they have a, a bunch of very. I think the closing thing to a game breaker is Wolf. 
they from the four. Okay, drinks. yeah. In fairness, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah, for, yeah, okay. for, it's, it's like you know, if you're like, do they have a Matthew Kachuk in the organization? No, not because they haven't drafted. They've drafted in the teens right. and the twenties, where you don't get them. But you get you know, Pelche, who once he rounds out, you know, can be a really reliable player. Zari's probably in the same boat. Uh, you know, Coronado's a bit more of a goal scorer, but he's sort of in the same boat. Sort of second, third line guys who can sort of fill in a lot of gaps. They don't have a lot of first line, first pairing guys, but they have a lot of guys that can fill in pretty much everywhere else sure and then that would be my criticism and i think that's been daryl's criticism of this team is that they they don't have first line guys yeah. lindholm maybe, i mean they, they you know but, even, i think even last year i mean they had the choice of drafting actually they were drafted in the tw- late 20s and they went oh, let's just go get tyler to yeah oh for sure so yeah, i think yeah, that, yeah, i think yeah. that's the you know that's that's the challenge of sort of being in that mix and you know they yeah. you know they you know, they, they had those guys they drafted high. Like, they had, you know, they got a lot of games out of Monaghan. They got a lot of games out of Kachuk. They got a lot of games out of Bennett. I don't think Bennett really turned out as well as the other two guys did. But he was still a really, you know, useful, valuable player. And, you know, and then they you know, flip the assets, and then you're sort of left with what you have. This this is, it, it's still crazy to me, and, and it'll probably be crazy to you, the fact that this organization has never drafted higher than fourth. I mean, not not in Calgary, no. This franchise in Calgary has yeah. never drafted north of fourth. Yeah. And even like they drafted, I think second twice in the seventies, and yeah. that's it. And granted, I mean, you know, Cliff Fletcher did a very nice job drafting. In the- oh no, they 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 they, they did, but you know, yeah. it just it's compounded by your number one rival drafted first overall four times in six years or whatever yeah. it was, and, right? and they completely whiffed on Niall Yakupov, and they still ended up with a bunch of really good players. And you know, we, they've I think that's. Oh, I, com- I, yes, competent I, I would, drafting there would have been interesting to watch. It's ironic because you could sort of make the argument that they've sort of succeeded in the things the Flames haven't had an opportunity to do and not been as good. Like, the until very recently, the Oilers have been very good at drafting those other areas, like the depth yeah, guys, the right. goalies. And so, you know, if you combine the two Alberta teams, they, they're almost <laughs> they're, perfect at drafting. They're very good drafting teams, absolutely. They're very good. It's very just a matter of make sure, make sure you win lotteries and make sure that, you know, when you don't win lotteries, you can find you know the the best goalie in the world in the seventh round what do you think happens assuming that the big club doesn't make it which the percentages are against um but the american league team goes you think it becomes a little bit like uh the later rounds for the hitman when they get going you think we could see bigger crowds at the dome i think so i I think the, the nice thing is you know the especially in the on the the weekend games yeah the folks who've been going to wranglers games are very vocal about how much fun they have at Wranglers games. Good. And it's a good atmosphere. You know, you got a lot of kids. You got a lot of, you know, anytime there's any kind of scrum, you get like the little kids shouting, fight, fight, fight. Yeah. And, you know, it's yep. it's energetic. There's a different there's a different vibe in the building than there is for Flames games. And I think maybe it's the price point. Maybe it's the, you know, the, the boisterousness of the hockey, the boisterousness of the crowd. It's, it's, they've done a really nice job. And I'm, I'm really curious, you know, now, like, okay, like, I think the attention will gradually, will, obviously sort of, you know, move over to the AHL club once they're all done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, next season I think will be fascinating because, you know, the the, the stuff for the Wranglers got finalized relatively late, much probably much later than they really wanted it to because of copyrights and other things they had to deal with. And they couldn't do Jersey stuff because of the supply chain issues. Like there was a bunch of, if you were going to, if you were going to launch a franchise because of external factors, they were hindered in almost every way you can be hindered. And they still have had a very successful first season. So, they have a lot of, you know, you know very well, they have a lot of smart folks on uh, on the business side of that team. I am really curious the lessons they learned from this because, you know, they've, you know, they've, 
you know, basically just tried to let's just, you know, run, run things and see how they go. And I think they've learned a lot of lessons and how they apply those lessons are going to be really fascinating because, you know, in an ideal world, I think there's some, you know, there, there, I think there's enough bandwidth, enough oxygen, enough fans, enough money, enough everything for the Hitmen and the Flames and the Wranglers and potentially a women's pro team to coexist and really complement each other and, you know, give people different things at different places. That's the way it should be. No, That's the way it should be. You no. should be, you know, different price points and different, different, uh, you know, uh, to me that they're still too close. And, and uh, you know, I, in full disclosure, I was there when this was all going on. There's, they're still marketed too close to the, the junior club that they need to break apart and find different identities. I think for long-term success, because yeah. I think you're just robbing Peter to pay Paul at this point. Um, but hopefully, you know, that, you know, like you say, those weekend crowds are great, Yeah, but those midweek crowds, terrible yeah and it's just a question of how do you you know i think the the friday afternoon games are really fun and i think yeah I, I do I think, too yeah but so absolutely like, i i just think like you know you could do you could do different stuff with hitman on week i think i think experimenting as much as you can like mm-hmm. any, the nhl you're basically mm-hmm. you're basically here's the days the nhl needs mm-hmm. the tv deals say we need these days yep. the building says we need these days you know the nhl schedule's done months and months the nhl schedule for next season is almost done i think it's they've circulated a few drafts already yeah uh and then everyone else has to fill in the days that are left. Oh, but based on what's left, I think the, the Hitman and the Wranglers can do a really nice job complementing each other, yep. being like experimenting in different ways and having, you know, great. I mean, Hitman, Hitman are going to the playoffs. I think that's going to, you know, I don't think they're going to last very long simply because they don't have the, you know, they're a lower seed. They don't have the star power, the game breakers that other teams in their division do. Or to be blunt, we're being honest here. Everyone in the West right now is, everyone in the Western League is basically playing to lose to Kamloops or to Seattle. Yep. And, Maybe Winnipeg if you're in the East. Maybe Winnipeg. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the Hitmen are kind of lucky they didn't finish eighth. Oh, because you that, don't have that to. Would, that yeah. would be. But maybe. what a wild swing, right? Yeah. You finish eighth and you get to go to Winnipeg. You finish seventh and you get to go to Red Deer. Yeah. So you probably have a fighting chance against Red Deer. You might. You might. I've seen. I've seen weirder things. Happen. Uh, absolutely, especially in the first round of the playoffs, right? Yeah. Especially but, in the first round of the playoffs. But I mean, you know, you have you have especially as those you know the the Hitmen have always been kind of dependent on. You know, as as a drawing card, NHL prospects, you know, or or up and coming draft players. I mean, this was sort of a unicorn kind of year where everyone knew that Connor Bedard was the yep. the be all end all, yep. and so everyone in the West, everyone in the Dub, made some nice money off that kid. And, yes, they did. And you know what? He's going to get paid too very shortly, but so not I think from every, them. Oh no! no but the, the, it's, it's, it comes. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's churning. It's in but the it's same ecosystem. Yeah, I think yeah, every, yeah. everyone everyone's getting taken care of in that situation. But it's a question of okay, well, going forward, you know. Can they, are the, do the hitmen have anyone coming up, or there's anyone else coming up in the in the dub? It's supposed to be a good couple of years in the dub for 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 draftees, and so you know if if Flames kids come through, if they get anyone prominent from the West drafted this year, maybe that helps. Maybe you know you have some some other up and comers come in, you know, different age groups. But yeah. you know, it's a it's a, it's a I think minor minor and junior sports is such a challenging environment <laughs> because you know you're 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 going to be secondary, but secondary doesn't have to mean you know, not as good. Secondary just means you're not front of mind with the fans as much. Well, it sounds like you should be talking to the CFL. <laughs> right? Is that not the CFL conversation? Yeah. Right? In it's, so many it's, ways. It's you know, a CFL conversation. That's more of a Danny Austin question. But Yes, but but but, yeah, but I, I mean I, just, I saw it again blow up on social media this weekend, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, what is it? It's it's our league. Yeah, but it's a second tier league, I guess. You know, the CBL, the CPL, yeah. they all have to go through that. Like, you know, the funny thing about domestic leagues is 
hockey, because we're dominant, we don't pay attention. But you, to be a soccer power, you have to have domestic leagues. Yeah. We don't. We, we do, but we, we haven't. It's getting there. It's getting there, right? The same thing with basketball. You have to have a domestic league and, and a feeder league, yeah. right? Cricket. Doesn't matter. You have to rugby. You need places for well, I, I th- sports I think, to play. Right? I think one of the things you know we always talk about. You know, I think in in the National Hockey League context, we always talk about you know expansion teams and sort of the the building process. Yeah. Expansion teams have to go forth with. I think to a lot of extent, you know, and, and we that's I think because of that, we've always talked. We sort of conceptualize rebuilds in sort of a similar way. I think for for Canadian soccer now that we sort of have CPL is sort of here and developing and becoming more and more prominent. Okay. So it's a stepwise progression and figuring out ways to sort of, you know, leverage the opportunities to improve that stepwise progression. I think, you know, Jason yeah. Ribeiro and his friends are going to have a fun, a fun time with that, with the, the CBL in terms of, okay, now that you're here, what does your one look like? What does your two look like? What does your three mm-hmm. look like? And, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch because I think all these different entities in town, you know, we're, you know, there's, there's, it's not like suddenly everyone's going to have more disposable income, but, can you figure out ways to help each other? Can you figure out complementarities? Can you figure out lessons that you can teach each other without, you know, if, if I see somebody get kicked in the face, I'm going to learn how to not get kicked in the face. Can everyone learn from the mistakes and the successes that they're all having and find a way to really help well, each other out? the answer to that is no, historically. Right. Give yeah. me the give me the example of where no, that, I can't think. Give of me one. no. I, I can't. Think, I can't. That's why I'm thinking an idea. No, right. no, I can't think of it either. But I, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. Um, back to the big club just for a second because I didn't. Two things that I wanted to talk to you about. Nine hundred games for Michael Backlund. Um, he's been good for eight hundred and fifty something of those. He really has. Yeah, he's. Uh, and he, but he's also. I think to be perfectly honest, I think Michael Backlund's the example of patience. Yeah. Because when you go back, and I was at the draft in 2007, and I talked to him. That hair. My goodness, oh, that hair. I know. We all had it back then. Um, but it's the best example of he was exactly what every draft publication, he has become exactly what every draft publication said he could be. Yep. Good, second-line center, 200-foot game, responsible, little bit of offensive upside, good defensively. That's what everybody said about him when he was going to get drafted in 2007. 900 games later, he is exactly that. Yeah, in, uh, he's in the Selkie conversation this year, I think. I think uh, Daryl made, they... made a comment that I think was very, very astute, where if they were a better team, he'd probably be on a lot more ballots. I think he'll be oh, on a I few. Oh, I agree. He'd be yeah. on a few. But, I mean, you know, we, we made the comment with, you know, with Mark Giordano, and he got the C. Like, most players don't get better in the 30s. Mo- you know, the nope. age curve for most of us works the other way. 100%. Dramatically so. 100%. And most players don't get better when they put a C on because, you know, Daryl's mentioned this in the past, you know, especially in Canadian market, there's a lot of demands on you, media, off-ice, community stuff. Like, your, your mm-hmm. time isn't really your own when you're wearing a letter, especially wearing that letter in this market. And, you know, Jerome was very good for a long time, and he left the big shadow, and it'd be natural to be like, oh, this guy's not quite as good. I think Giordano was better in some ways and not quite as good in some ways. Yeah, no, I think but, that's fair. But And I think I think with uh, with Backlund, I mean, Backlund's worn a letter. You know, he's been an alternate since 2018. You know, he's basically been the, for lack of a better term, the regear to Giordano's Aginla yep. for much of that tenure. Yep. Yep. And I think now he's sort of playing a bit more of a prominent role. But, you know, it's you know, he's he's been off the ice as good a citizen as you could hope for. Uh, on the Absolutely. ice, he's been, you know, they've given him, you know, yeah. tough, the capital T, tough minutes. And he's been relied on to boost guys up. He's been, you know, relied on. He, you know, he taught 
young Matthew Kachuk two-way hockey. He taught, you know, Majipani two-way hockey. He's been, you know, he'll probably be relied upon uh, before his time is up to play with Coronado and yep. Pelche and sort of bring those up. Maybe Zari too. Like he's, he's the guy who can help out a lot of guys. I think Matt Station did that role too for mm-hmm. a lot of the Flames tenure before. Especially for centermen. Especially for centermen. Yeah. I, I had a long chat with a lot of those young guys uh, from the OHL who grew up playing with him. And uh, I got a nice note back from uh, from his agent and also a note saying, thanks for making me feel old. Uh, from <laughs> uh, but I, I think yeah. that's, that's the thing. So I think with Backlund, I mean, you know, if you're, you know, we, we, we always bristle about like, oh, player X isn't what we hope to be. You know, very, very rarely, like Sean Monaghan, was basically an NHL player when they got him. He, he mm-hmm. didn't really need to do a lot. Yeah. He, he he filled out a bit. He gained about yeah. twelve pounds of muscle over the summer. Yeah. That helped. Yeah. But same with same with Kachuk. Like a lot of these guys, if you're drafting in the single digits, you're probably gonna get guys that are pretty close to to ready to go. Yeah. And then if you're drafting in the teens, especially the twenties, you know, take some time. And you know, I'll give I'll give Backlund a lot of credit. He you know he was asked to go learn two way hockey. He was asked to play fourth line minutes. He was asked to play with, you know, guys who were yep. checkers. He was, he didn't, he played with a lot of, you know, what people would, would call unskilled players. And in that's, the NHL, there's no such thing as unskilled that's complimentary. players. In, yeah. in the NHL, yeah. there's no such thing yeah. as unskilled players. Yes. But you know, I, I played pickup hockey against Brian McGratton once and thought I was going to die because, yeah. uh, I'm not in the best shape, <laughs> but no. You know, but there's a point, you know. But your point's well taken. Yeah, right? and I, I think you know if you're if you if you come into the league with an ego and think I'm so and so, I should be playing with X, Y, and Z, and you get told you're going to be playing on the fourth line, you're going to be uh, you know ten minutes a night, see how you do. It can be a, it can be a kick in the teeth a bit. It can be a bit of a, an ego hit. And a lot of these young guys, I think the ones that succeed in those roles are the guys that figure out, okay, I don't know everything. Let's figure, let's use this as an opportunity. We had Andrew McBride in before you, and, and he was talking, but like he played all his entire career in Calgary, and that's uh, you know those unicorn that doesn't happen, right? Um, and I asked him, I said, if you hadn't won two cups previous in your NLL experience, would you have would you have left at the end to chase? He goes, absolutely. Do you think that there's any part of Backlund that hits 900 games now and goes, you know, because I'd love to see him. Wouldn't that be a great story? Drafted, hell, you know, max tournament drafted plays a thousand plus games, you know, ends up your captain and then retires. That's, that's a fantasy yeah. story for me. Or is there any part of him that would go, okay, I've done this. I, I now I want to go chase a little bit. I think he might end up being in a similar situation as Jerome McGinley was where, yeah. you know, they, you know, for, you know, a feature always joked that he didn't want to be known as the guy that traded Jerome mm. McGinley. It just turned out that way because, you know, he was brought in and that he was trying to maximize the team as best they could. And then, eventually father time caught up with them. They kind of ran out of gas and had to make some tough decisions in that lockout season. And, you know, yeah. I think this off season will be very fascinating because, you know, what does a group look like? What is, what is, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to go full rebuild, but if they're thinking, okay, make certain kinds of changes, you know, maybe if, if I think they, I'll say this, I think whoever's in charge of the organization, when decisions have to be made, there's, there's a lot of affection within the organization, I think, up and down for number 11. Yeah. And I think, you know, if this is if they feel he has an opportunity here to do something, I think they're going to do what they can to take care of him. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I don't think that getting him out of town is going to ever be a high priority because of how no. beloved he is. No. But I think if they feel... Because he's one of the guys that's up next, not yeah, this he's year, but up next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think, you know, if, if they're in a situation where they're like, okay, we're not really sure if we have it right now, 
do you want to take a look and see what else there? He has, a, I think, a limited no trade, so he has some control over mm-hmm. where he goes, and I think that's probably a conversation that they have during the offseason in terms of who they have, how they maximize them, and how do they put the people they, they really value into places they can be successful. And I'm sure they're hoping, you know, plan A is the place that they're going to be successful is here, but failing that, can they put, you know, specific people in areas where they can be successful and have a chance to do something? Uh, last one before I let you go. Um, we, I, some of us have been waiting. I don't, I, I'm not sure this was a story, but the NHL so badly fumbled the pride Jersey story in the last month that I guess it was, but the flames announced today they will be wearing and I don't know. Have you seen them? Oh yeah, they're really nice. They're really they, nice. They did a really. I'll yeah, say yeah, actually, you did. You put yeah. out a great tweet about that. Yeah. They, they, did. they've they've done such a. The Flames yeah. have done such a good job with their with their alternate. I'm the, the NHL has very weird rules about what you are and are, are are and are not allowed to sell, and I'll never understand them. I thought the Black History jersey was fantastic. Me too. The the, uh, the indigenous the, the, the indigenous one's fantastic. Yep. The the, uh, the Chinese New Year one. The the yep. moon. I think I forget the exact term. I apologize for not remembering the exact yep. term, but they've all been fantastic and unique in different ways and sort of use a lot of cool iconography in really unique and eye-catching ways. Uh, I don't love the... I think if I was a broadcaster, I'd see the name bars and go and the numbers and go, thank goodness they're not using these in the game. It's the only criticism I have, the, ra- the rainbow pattern. Yeah, I'd like to see them in the games, but I think if you're going to do that, that has to be part of the consideration. But for what they're used for, yeah. th- these are gorgeous. So two things out of that. Were you at the availability today? I was not. Okay. Um, I love, because this particular conversation, I don't know if you're aware but uh, strikes, uh, you know, a lot of chords. And it, it does make for some interesting texts or tweets uh, <laughs> that I have received. Um, and I, but if, 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 if you're going to be on one side and Daryl Sutter's on the other side of this, like, give your freaking head a shake. And that's not a knock against Daryl, but I, I don't know how else you can say it better than Daryl said it today. Like, fine. Like, we're, we're all in. We're doing this as a team. This is what we do. Like, yeah. You know, he, nobody exemplifies, you know, it's for everybody better than Daryl, quite honestly. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, the, the NHL, uh, you know, from, from, a, from a pure moral standpoint, you want to not exclude people from your game because hockey should be for everyone. From a business standpoint, the NHL would love to make as much money as humanly possible in part because they love money and in part because they really think of themselves as the stewards of the game. And, Revenue is one of the ways they sort of benchmark how well yeah. they're going. Yeah. So from a business standpoint, they would like everyone to be comfortable and if not just comfortable, you know, very enthusiastic about coming into their spaces and spending time, spending money and getting involved and engaged. In They've the done a piss poor job of that in the last month. And that's, and that, isn't so that, here, the, let isn't me, that the most frustrating part of it? Here, let, okay. <laughs> but here's, I thought this was interesting. This is not my idea. Kevin Hodgson, my friend from Heroes, called me last week and we were talking about this. And I'll run it by you and see what you think. Okay. What if a team identified 15 causes in a year, did 15 practice jerseys, and then said to the players, pick them. Pick them. You know, pride's important to you. Wear it for 41 games at home. The warm-up jersey. Just have, have those causes. Not unlike in the NFL, where they do the players can do the cleats for a cause. What if you had a set of cause jerseys and just said to the players, okay, you know, Eric Stahl, you don't want to support pride. Fine. Here's a, here's a cancer awareness. Uh, one, do something. Could work. What, what if you had that to me, that would, and I'm listening to Kevin explain this to me and I'm going, this is brilliant. 
Because then it, there, there's a little ownership to this, right? Yeah. I'm not just saying, oh, I'm just skating around wearing a jersey because the team told me and, to skate around and, and wear a jersey. That, that's kind of what they do with the 50-50s. I mean, the, the 50-50 draws that, that most of the teams do, they sort of have a tie into a local charity, a local event. And they have, you know, sometimes they have sort of bigger things like sure. scaffold on top of them. Sure. But they, they, they really do a lot to integrate it in the local community and sort of right. get boots on the ground. And, yeah, I think that I think there's I a like, lot of potential There's something that. to that. Like, you could wear, you know, you might wear all of them. Yeah, all year. I'm just going to keep alternating because I think they're all important. Or, you know, I had I I lost somebody to breast cancer, so I'm going to wear a, a pink one all year. And yeah. I just part of what it is is there's two things at work. There is no way the NHLPA and the NHL is going to allow this to happen next year. They're going to God. They're, I hope not. <laughs> they're no, no. But I mean, they're going to go the opposite. They're going to say we're just not doing it anymore. You know, we don't want to. That's not fair to James Reimer. That's not fair to the Stalls. We're not going to do this anymore. I, I've seen this movie so many times. Yeah. And well, because because the the you know the storytelling is basically focused on the exceptional. Right now, the exceptional is the people who aren't taking part. Correct. Whereas with Kevin's idea, if you have say you know like you know everyone's wearing this wearing the regular practice jersey, right. but two or three of them are wearing the the, right. the special ones, the storytelling becomes, hey, hey, uh, Mackenzie Weger. I know that you're wearing uh, you're, today. You're wearing a special jersey. What's that about? Tell tell us about this cause. Tell us about your story. Your link to that. And I, I think, was yeah. I think it, it Michael Backlund, it. like Michael Backlund's uh, the ambassador for parachutes for pets. Maybe he wears one for pets. And exactly that. It, why is that so important to you? It could create some conversation. Again, it's an idea that makes too much sense. Yeah, I right. uh, the, the logistically, as long as you can get the equipment managers on board. I think that'd be the challenge, as long as it's manageable for the equipment managers. If you have well, that's thirty-two guys saying, I'm wearing thirty-two different I'm saying shirts. it. I'm saying at home, like oh, yeah. at home. Um, and I know what you're saying about equipment managers, and I'm sure that Ozzy or or Depot are probably, you know, somebody's going to tell them about this, and they're going to want to burn me an effigy. But I think, you know, and the other part of this, well, we can't do that. We're all part of a team. We're a team. We're we're a team. We're a team. We got to look and dress as like a team. We're a team. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, you see what got uh, announced for August today? I did. I did. That, so you tell me what's... What, okay. Is it, is it, I find it very, very interesting that that happens. Uh, we're getting that announced a few weeks after the other guys are coming Yeah. Out. So, okay, I'll just let everybody know that this uh, segment with our guest, uh, Ryan Pike, was brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, 76 years in Calgary. Check them out, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, what we're talking about is it's a television taping of SmackDown. WWE SmackDown is coming yeah. here, which would be on the road to SummerSlam. I think it's the, the first Friday after SummerSlam. Oh, it's after SummerSlam. Yeah, it's the, the, the first Friday after SummerSlam. Oh, 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 oh don't do... Oh, okay, well, Ryan can't see this. 35 years ago today, uh, WrestleMania 4. And you remember what happened to two guys with deep Calgary ties, a Calgarian and another guy who spent a lot of time here? I mean, like WrestleMania 4 was that yeah. terrible tournament, right? Uh, it was a terrible tournament, yes. But this was... Uh, this was where bad news at the time. Bret, Bret Hart won the won the. No, uh, he didn't. Bad news did, and, and then he, he tossed snapped and he snapped the trophy. That's right. And of course, Brett, being from Calgary and bad news, spending so much time here, part of Stampede, right? Um, so what we were talking about is SmackDown's coming. AEW is here. It's Stampede time, but not a show. Not a, sorry, not a not a TV taping or a pay per view. Yeah, so it's, it's a house show. It's a it's a new concept they're doing. It's a, a they're calling it House Rules. There, okay. They they say it's more than a regular house show, which I don't know what that means, but we'll see. It's kind of how it's kind of like famine for a long because didn't they move some of the WWE house shows, WWE house shows over to the corral? The last time the WWE was in town, I think was uh, I think the last corral show is I think 2018, 2018 or twenty nineteen. And it was the corral right? in the corral. They haven't done the Salem since I think twenty either twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. Right, so it's been a while. so almost a decade. 
Yeah. And now, and then tw- twice in six weeks. And then, um, have you been out to a dungeon wrestling show? I keep meaning to go. Okay, I, so, I so the many... seventh, yeah, the seventh, the pavilion. I went to the last one, and I was in heaven. Yeah, because the pavilion's full. It was full. Yeah, and it was nice. The, uh, it's the uh, the the new building, right? The uh, no, it's the old pavilion. The old, oh, in the back. Yes, what, the old, that's a great spot. It's the old pavilion. It was fantastic. It was fantastic, and it doesn't take a lot to fill it, but it's filled, and it was a good card, and it's a yeah, lot. Yeah, they of, had they had Nick Aldis in, didn't they? They had Nick Aldis in. They had Chris Masters in, but they had that's what Good Friday. Bill, yeah, but a buddy of ours is going to come on on uh, uh, this Friday. He's going to talk about WrestleMania, but Michael Richard Blaze, who 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 just actually appeared in AEW Dark. No, that's. No, he didn't. He he did Miz Force. You're thinking of um, um, uh, Mark, uh, Michael, Michael Allen, Richard Clark. Clark. Yeah, I always Michael, mix those two guys no, up. No, yeah, but I know why you would. But uh, uh, Michael Blaze just announced over the weekend that in May, he up in Edmonton, he's going to wrestle for eight hours straight to raise money for the children's hospital up there. How many different opponents? That sounds amazing. I don't know. That's why we're going to bring him on because he he wrestled on the he wrestled on the last dungeon show uh, against uh, Harry Smith and the Billington uh, boys, and he carried it like he was. Him and Harry were just they were doing all the mechanic work. It was fantastic. He can go like he can go go. So we're going to have him on Friday. But uh, and you should check out the pavilion. It's a good time. Yeah, there's going to be a lot coming the, up. The last few dungeon wrestling shows have yeah. been on times where I'm like, oh, I got to do flame stuff. Oh yeah, so right. This, this get, might be the summer get, for I, me that I check. I get that. that. Out. I get that. But it, it's just uh, not odd to me. I think you hit the nail on the head. Oh, they're in Calgary. We better get to. They're in Calgary without a house or without a TV taping. We better get to Calgary with a TV taping. Yeah. It's nice to be on the map again. Since, it matter. Uh, right? I'd say since what 2007 or so. Since all the Chris Benoit stuff. Uh, yes. Western Canada's been a bit of an afterthought. It has been. And WCW never came here before they went under. And so no, I, think, and I, still, I think it's nice to see a little bit of a of a, a race to claim territory here. And I'm I I claim one thousand percent bias, but I still think the Canadian Stampede back in nineteen ninety seven was one of the best underrated pay per views in WWE history. It's probably the best B show they've ever done. Best A show they've ever done was WrestleMania seventeen. Oh, best B show, oh yeah, 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 yeah. For, for okay. non major show. No, I was going back to the eighties. You mean the Rock and Roll Express were fighting the Midnight Express, and it wasn't Ric Flair on top? But I know exactly what you mean by B show. Yeah. I think because there was only four matches, wasn't it? So you know, the four. main the main event was the what that the, the crazy tag match that went like half an hour. Yeah, and then somebody I think Stone Cold left in the middle of it and came back and stuff like that. So oh yeah, um, yeah. There's some history here, so it's exciting. Yeah, it's uh, and the nice thing is, I mean, you know, uh, the corral had uh, a lot of wrestling heritage, uh, you know, disappear when uh, when it went down, and you know, the, the Saddle Dome is as Commissioner Batman has mentioned. Very close to the end of its Oh, its it is, is it? Life. Really? But uh, I think, you know, it's going to be nice to sort of see, uh, you know, a few more uh, interesting shows come in before uh, we, we lay down the curtain on that, pull down the curtain on the saddle alone. I won't lie to you. I'm fascinated to see an AEW show. I'm fascinated by it. Um, I don't know if I like it yet, and it's only been around for four years or five years. Has anyone explained Orange Cassidy to you? I love Orange Cassidy. He's fantastic. I, th- He's fantastic. I think it's one of the great gimmicks of all time, but it's not unlike the Savannah Bananas. You have to commit. You have to. He commit. Who commits more to a character? Who commits to not committing? Is it well, the, yeah, which the wrestler is, that doesn't want to wrestle? But it's got to be the hardest thing to do, right? 
But I mean, uh, you know, and we probably lost a lot of older crowd. But if you you watch last week, Adam Page and Val, uh, Vikingo, did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah, Kenny Omega and... Or Kenny uh, Omega, Omega. yeah, sorry, Ken. Vikingo. Yeah, and Vikingo. Ooh, what a great match. Was it? I liked it. Everybody loved it, but I kept like, there's damn guy nearly died that one time. Like that 630. That's the Lucha style though. I the know. The Lucha style is, how did he not I die? No, but give me a little psychology. And, and Kenny's not a psychology guy. I get that. He can do it. It's not that he doesn't. But he can. Do, I mean, Omega. He can't. Or, sorry. Um, yeah, Omega Okada was 68 yeah, minutes yeah. Of, of psychology. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm thinking more of his recent stuff. But, you know, there's, yeah, I mean, there's some. There's sometimes t- I turn that thing on. and t- it, TV matches are tough to do a lot of psychology in. But the one thing they do better than the other guy, well, better than the WWE, is you get, it's like a, you're not ordering off a menu. You're getting a little bit of everything here, right? Like by the time that two hours is done, you've had a spot fest, you've had a, you know, a little bit of ground and pound, you've had, you know, a good tag team or whatever, you've had some good talking. It's a good product. I want to yeah. see it live. I just don't know if I like it yet, if that yeah. makes any sense. I'll say this, anyone on the fence, best way to see wrestling is live wrestling. Oh, abs- and the ni- the nice absolutely. Thing, the nice thing now, starting, what, April 7th? Yeah. April 7th, there's uh, there's some live stuff. Yeah. Then we got, uh, you know, the, the big companies coming through. But, I mean, yeah. Dungeon ain't going anywhere. I think no, we're they're not. a lot of Dungeons. So. And and they, I'll tell you right right now, when we were there, la- like, last time, I believe it was Sean Moore was one of the guys that kicked it off. And he, he he's a guy that was on the AEW Dark. A lot a lot of Western Canadian people. Right. Mo Jabari. Mo uh, Jabari was, was there, yeah. So. And pay, uh, Zoe Sager, who's really good. Oh, she's, she's excellent. She, she is excellent. She's, she's going to be... She's going to be up there on a main show here. The only thing she, I think she's more AEW than WWE, but that's just my opinion because she's not tall, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, or or NXT. She could be NXT. Right. The nice thing now is there's it's a mini there's boom options. There's lots of places for people to work. There's options, but old guys like me, you know, I I want to see some FTR. That's what I want to see. Hopefully they come up. Yeah, well, you know, nobody knows where they're going to be. All right. Somehow we ended up and drifted off. But thank you for this. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Ryan Pike joining us. Uh, Our guest brought to you courtesy of Ski Cellar Snowboard. 76 years here in Calgary, including four great locations. McLeod Trail, Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street. Bow Ridge Road Northwest by the McDonald's at the bottom of Windsport and at Windsport at the Frank King Day Lodge. Not just for skiers and snowboarders. All of the best stuff to keep you warm and dry. Check them out online, skisellersnowboard.com. Um, all right, time for the final mile. I want to do, we, we're going to talk about the wrestling. So two things I want to do, and they're both kind of personal. So first of all, uh, let me just say this. Very excited. Uh, if you follow me on social or you were on social last week, um, I have uh, joined with the Calgary Search, the new CEBL team. I'm working with them on a community uh, initiative because I, I really believe the importance of, of kids uh, you know, representation matters and kids need to see role models and, and have dreams of, of one day getting there. So i uh, really excited to join Usman and, and Jason with the, uh, the team and their staff. And um, so I'm going to be doing a little bit of work. So I, and, and anytime we talk about it, I'll make sure that I, I do reference that just if, if it's important uh, that you know where I'm coming from, but uh, very excited and very proud to be joining that organization as, as uh, basketball comes 
professional basketball comes back to Calgary, I think uh, goes without saying. Uh, we have great high school and university ball here. Uh, the second thing, and I mentioned it on Friday, I'd be remiss if I... So there's a lot of connectors to this. So Vicky Hall was... Vicky Hall joined us on, uh, on Friday. She's going into the uh, Canadian Football Hall of Fame uh, in the media section and, and a dear friend. And we were, at the end of it, we were talking about her son, AJ, who's part of our superheroes program. And, um, you know, I have, I have as, as I talked to Andrew McBride, I have very definitive beliefs in sport. And, and I really believe in the importance of soft skills, leadership, teamwork, and respect, and, and that sport teaches those or can be a place that you can teach those. So our hockey players, our superheroes hockey players were wrapping up their week or their year. And on the weekend, we joined with another group that I'm working with, Parachutes for Pets. And they were doing a, a, paraf- a, a pet food drive and toy drive. Now we mentioned AJ, who's Vicky's son, uh, he's one of our superhero players. Uh, I just want to share a video that he and Vicky put together. Um, this is AJ. My real name is Alexander James. Today I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to get some stuff for, for people that, are, that don't have a lot of stuff for dogs and cats. So I chose this because three days ago my dog Timmy passed away and he loves tennis ball. So that's why I made it. this for for a dog. That's why I bought this for for somebody that has a dog that's having problems. And I think that Timmy's proud of me and I miss him. But that's what my and my real name is Alexander James Hall. Nickname Leo. A A A or J J. That's that's and I'm gonna put this back. So here you go. So proud of the kid, uh, so proud of all of our kids, and, and so proud of the, the young uh, boys and girls who were in sport that give back, and, uh, and we do so much in the community now, which is exciting, things like uh, you know the Chrysler Good Deeds Cup, and just teams taking upon themselves to, to make the lives of those around the better. So uh, I have a platform, I chose to use the platform to highlight the great work of AJ and the rest of our superheroes. Thanks to Andrew McBride. Thanks to Ryan Pike. Wednesday, Cammy Kepke and some special guests. Friday's our big WrestleMania show, which we're looking forward to. Uh, Enjoy it. Uh, You can catch the podcast anytime. Uh, By the way, a big uh, welcome to our new sponsors, uh, as uh, you can see up on, well, not now, on the one shot, but on the two shot, you can see Ski Seller Snowboard, uh, 76 years in Calgary, skisellersnowboard.com. That's where you go. They're going to take care of you. We are going to see you in a couple of days. Thanks, everybody. When there's two sides to every coin, then there's a conversation you can join. But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks And some of my opinions you just can't fix Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and cry Get up my lawn, you snowflake Before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown Cause this is my hometown, so back down Sports clown, it's all just a game Touchdown, the rundown, the lowdown, cause it's over.
Thanks, Gav. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.